Welcome to Every Element with Mike and Alex. My name is Michael Mansour, and I'm joined for the first time ever, not by Alex, but by, well, our history guy, Tom Osman, all the way in Germany. Say hello. Hello. Holy shit. Why am I in Germany right now? <laughs> Good question. I don't think I can answer that. That's for you. I can't answer that. People have been asking me that all week and then all the time. That anybody that, that I told that I was doing, they're like, why? I'm like, oh, shit. I don't know. And then everyone here is like, why'd you come? Like, you know, I thought I would have figured it out by now. And I guess not. But I'm here now and it's very nice. I thought I would have more to say about it, uh, but it's very nice. Tom, how are you doing? Good. It's nice to be here. I live here, not in this hotel, obviously, but of I course. live in the city. Yeah, this is uh, my nice hotel, which is lighting is bad. There's a nice view of other rooms behind me, but, uh, you know, work, work with what you got. Okay, so obviously this is the first non-Alex episode in the first Tom episode, so it can't be the same thing that we usually do. So we're doing a, uh, what, are, what the hell are we doing? Uh, so how long have you been with us? Uh, it's been about a year. So basically, yeah. So like the, 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 I guess behind the curtains, a little bit story of how I ended up working with Mike and Alex was a little bit of a uh, sneaky, insidious stalkerish behavior. So very cool. Very I cool. Think, very comforting. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about how, for whatever reasons, people seem to discover the podcast more than with anything else on the butthole surfers episode. Yeah. So yeah. check out I, it out. I watched uh, I watched that one, and then I think there was a couple more I watched, and then I sent you an email after watching the Pantera episode, and then we got chatting back and forth, and this went back and forth by email for about a year, and then I think you mentioned in one of the episodes that you brought up how you wished there was more time to... I actually still remember the, the exchange. It was through email, and you'd brought up Throbbing Gristle. And I said, that would be a, a great band to cover, but uh, it's a shame that we, we can't do as much justice to the, the history and why the band is so interesting, just because we don't have time. It's impossible for us. Well, it's not impossible. It's just really impractical and it would, it would be pushing it. Uh, and I said, yeah, we, we, need a, we need a designated history guy for that. And then you said, <laughs> I'm your <laughs> <do> Huckleberry. <laughs> and then, then now, now, we're, now we're here and now I'm all over here, which is fucking fascinating that this podcast is brought me across the world and yeah, with a new friend international oh yeah the international oh, yeah, podcast hell yes so uh so yeah the first episode that i did with you was um septic death septic death i nearly said septic tank <laughs> and uh yeah that was about a year ago i think more Holy or less. Shit. yeah i think so i really flew by that was a great ep- that was when i mean that was a hell of a first episode because uh there really are few Hardcore bands, harder to get information on mm. Septic Death. Uh, that was like the one of our most complicated discographies where everything was just super confusing. And a bunch of the, the records had similar titles, but slightly different with similar track listings, but slightly different. It was a fucking nightmare. And the fact that you you got as much out of, out of it that you did, I was like, okay, this is going to work. This is, this is going to be very easy. Uh, and because of that episode, the, the fucking drummer contacted me at some point answering a bunch of questions that we, we asked on the pod, which was, that's, that's part of rules, dude. It's fucking so cool that that happens sometimes. Uh, but you, uh, when I said we should do a pod when I'm over here, you brought the idea of episodes or, or picks of ours that you disagreed with. Is that one way to put it? 
Do you know what? It's funny. It shouldn't be a complicated premise to explain, but for some reason, I keep finding it difficult. I think the best way I can say it is that I took five episodes where you hated one album by the band and you preferred another album by the band, and I'm going to argue the opposite. That's pretty rad. I think it's a, it's a solid premise. Uh, so he sent me six choices or six bands, uh, you know, 12 albums total and said, all right, one of these is a fucking what red herring. Or, yeah. uh, and then we, you'll, I'll reveal it to you on the pod. So the things that you said, what, what are the, al- what are the albums and bands that you sent? Okay, so the the six bands that I suggested in the albums were Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shocking versus Ritual Delow Habitual. So I think you and Alex both went for Nothing Shocking. I don't remember if that was was actually your best personal favorite. Both oh, of you? easily. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I and like you know I kind of I wanted to try and do it where it was like the best and the worst, and I yeah. was going to do it, but it wasn't really very easy. And obviously, you and Alex disagree a lot of the time so that's why i i ended up going more disagreeing with you a couple of the things that i chose maybe i'm actually agreeing with alex Mm -hmm. so like i tried to do as much as possible disagreeing with both of you but it wasn't always possible yeah so i'm here so it's cool to just shit on me for a little bit that's 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 what what i'm going for here so so jane's addiction first and then jane's addiction then there was Soundgarden, um and i think you and alex both said that down on the upside was the worst he gave it worst and least favorite i just gave it least favorite okay yeah. and i'm arguing that that's better or maybe i'm arguing that that's better than king animal king animal then there's husker do so you went for zen arcade indeed one of the best yep and i believe that warehouse warehouse is better okay that's another one zen arcade and then there's Black Flag. Yep. So possibly the most controversial of the list. Yep. I would be arguing that Family Man is a better album than Damaged. Bold, but I understand. <laughs> and then next. Uh, then, uh, however we wish to to pronounce it, Celtic Frost. Celtic Frost. Celtic Frost. Celtic Frost. Today. <laughs> it's an inside joke. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, so I'm arguing that Into the Pandemonium is better than monotheist. Yep. Um, which, yeah, that was one of those ones. I think that Alex actually had that as his best or personal favorite or something. He, so we, uh, he, I believe he gave uh, uh, monotheist personal favorite and then into the pandemonium best. And okay. I just gave both to monotheist. Yeah. Monotheist, monotheist. And then last, last swans, swans, <laughs> our favorite band at this entire podcast and in this room. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, exactly. So I guess for anyone that watched the episode, they'll probably uh, have noted that I praised Cop yeah. uh, a lot and you weren't so positive about it. So I'm going for, for Cop being better than body to body, job to job. Which in itself, people are being like, well, duh. But I'm like, no, nah. <laughs> <laughs> that one's good. Body to body's great. Uh, so hell yeah, we're, let's go in order then. All right. So the first reveal is that number one is Jane's Addiction. Ritual de lo habitual over nothing shocking. Okay. So that is that is the first genuine one on the list. Okay. So we're gonna do this. Let's fucking get into it. All right. So I guess like the 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 history of it, the funny thing for me with the podcast was I think that was maybe the second or the third episode that I watched. 
So the butthole sofas wasn't really, you didn't say anything that was controversial for me. You didn't yep. shit on any sacred cows. We quite was, love the butthole sofas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was fine. It was like, oh, I like the butthole sofas yeah. too, so no problem. Um, and then this for me was a bit of an interesting difference in generations, I think, because it didn't occur to me before I watched the James Addiction episode that you two would shit on them quite as heavily as you did. And it wasn't in the end, it, it wasn't even that you shat on the music so much, but it was more yeah, them as people. people. <laughs> yeah. Perry Farrell sucks. He fucking sucks. <laughs> and it did make me go through a bit of a reevaluation afterwards. I went, damn, do I maybe, have I maybe evaluated these people in the wrong way? But um, yeah, so Jane's Addiction was this band that I got turned on to at a time when I wasn't into metal, I wasn't even really into grunge music. Like I liked Sonic Youth, but at the time I was more listening to kind of Britpop, I suppose, but it was it was more on the edgy side. So it was like Manic Street Preachers, Radiohead, Suede, stuff like that. And maybe it was a, a thing about being in the UK and reading the, the NME, the New Musical Express, but they were a bit kind of snobbish about a lot of American stuff, about a lot of... I've gotten that a lot since I've been here. Grunge stuff. <laughs> I'm afraid to speak in public. <laughs> but go on, go on. So, so yeah, I, I, in a way, I kind of blame them for sort of pushing me away from a lot of stuff. Like, I remember them being very snooty about Alice in Chains, for example. Mm -hmm. So, for a while, I thought, oh, I guess I'm not going to listen to Alice in Chains. But I was also a bit skeptical of anything that involved the kind of rock man, metal man, like <gasps> yeah, yeah. kind of vocals. And so like Soundgarden, for example, uh, initially seemed to me like, oh, it's a dude going ah, yeah, with, yeah. with long curly hair and a leather jacket. So I was just sort of put off by that. But Jane's Addiction, when I get introduced to them, was something different. They had this odd vocal style. Yeah, very high, very high. Yeah, like not particularly macho in any way, I would say. Yeah, More, like, almost punk. Almost punk, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they've kind of got a punky element to them. And I guess you could say that Dave Navarro's got, I mean, he's, he's a total like rock star persona. He's a fucking tool, man. <laughs> and I only say that because I've heard from like people who know him saying like, not, like he's not great. <laughs> Maybe. Well, this is, I think this is the way the conversation started between us about them was I, I'd read this, I think I read a book about the band and I also read a book by Dave Navarro and it apparently had a really, really brutal upbringing and I think his mother got murdered. Jesus Christ, I feel he, really shitty now. <laughs> but you know, I mean, people can have terrible things happen to them in their, in their youth and then end up being terrible people necessarily. But anyway, whatever. Yeah. It, was, it was a band that, I, that it was kind of easier to get into for me because it wasn't really macho and it wasn't metal. It was something a bit different. Um, and Part of the thing that really appealed to me was the guitar playing of Dave Navarro. Mm. So I got, I think I got introduced to Ritual de Habitual first, and then Nothing's Shocking soon after. And to be honest with you, I wasn't, I wasn't upset with you uh, putting Nothing Shocking as your as your best because I think it's a great album. But to me, Ritual de Habitual was always like obviously. The best one. Interesting. It, and, and especially considering I've I feel the exact same way about nothing shocking. Like it's obviously the best one. Explain why you feel that way or how you feel that way. What about so it? back at this time, I was 
a guitar player. I mean, I, I hesitate when I say that just because I, I hadn't been playing for all that long, but I was more focused on the guitar in bands than I am now. Mm -hmm. So with a band like Jane's Addiction, even though I'm, I think I appreciated the, the bass playing and I appreciate the drumming and I guess I appreciated Perry Farrell singing in, in some way or other, but it was, it was kind of Dave Navarro's guitar playing that I was most kind of passionate about and the uh -huh. stuff that I really liked by them, it was mostly to do with how much I loved the, the guitar playing. So the tracks that I loved the most on Ritual were Three Days and Then She Did. Uh-huh. So for a while, Three Days was kind of this song that I would reference if I was like, you know, thinking about my favorite guitar solos. Cause uh. I, like I loved all the different guitar work in that and it has multiple, multiple solos. But Then She Did is like, for me, this is the, if, if someone said to me, like, pick a song that has guitar playing that's been the most inspirational for you as a guitar player, it would be that song. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a pretty huge influence, dude. <laughs> Holy shit. That's what I've tended to rip off more than anything else. Uh, yeah, that's one, because uh, I did go back to these albums uh, in preparation of this. Just a quick once over, because um, I mean, I have heard both albums a good number of times, but I think... Is because I don't remember exactly what I said in the episode, aside from um, ritual being like, like uh, not not only did I say it was obviously inferior, but uh, it just seemed like uh, it's like it's still quality shit. It's still like a this is gonna sound super basic, but uh, it's not like it's bad in any way. It's just comparing it to what I felt was a fucking perfect late '80s alt rock album. Because nothing shocking is one of those. I, I feel a, a true fucking masterpiece. Um, even though I may tear into the members of the band and i don't like the, the image necessarily uh, and i think some of the i mean like three days for example i think is some of the most pretentious lyrical shit i'm like i had this fucking wild threesome and it was amazing and here's how it went. i'm gonna talk about it for 10 fucking minutes <laughs> even the song is cool uh i literally think like, all things that i i would imagine i i shouldn't like uh but it's like it's a fucking perfect album it's absolutely perfect so going from what i felt was perfect to something that's just really good uh it seems I maybe maybe it seems that I was probably too harsh on it in in like just the context. So going back to it, I listened to Ritual first, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is fucking really good." And even stuff um, that I know Alex hated, but that I wasn't super jazzed on, like um, "I've Been Caught Stealing" or whatever, like you know, which is pretty famous. Even going back to, it, I'm like, "No, this is fucking this just rips too." Like this is super fun, and. Yeah, and, and then three days. Of course, it's like it's it is ten minutes, but it fucking nails it. It does exactly what you want in in a really lengthy, borderline psychedelic kind of way. Uh, and then what's the what's the song with all the fucking Eastern elements? Is that the is na -na -ch yeah, na yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Um, and I just I'm looking at it right now. I didn't even realize it's fucking seven minutes flies by. Like what a fucking amazing song! And it seems like it should be goofy and novel. That oh, we're gonna try an Eastern thing, but. It's just well written enough that it doesn't matter. And the reason I went on this whole tangent to begin with, um, Navarro's guitar playing, he's like a bona fide shredder that only shows it off when soloing. Like all the other riffs in both these albums are, are you know, straightforward chord progressions. And it seems like it, it almost feels blindsiding. Like, oh, wait a minute. He's fucking going ham at certain points. It's a nice little um, 
I don't know why it seems that rare. I can't think of very many bands that do simple, almost punk chord structures, and then I'm gonna go fucking wail like you wouldn't believe on other sections. Well, this this might be an odd connection to make because I don't think there's a great similarity in terms of the overall style of music, but like if you think about the the verse parts of Three Days mm-hmm. and what he's playing, it is quite simple in a way but it's kind of fiddly when you want to play it like it's got a certain there's a certain aspect to the melody and the and the strings that you're playing to me that make and i'm not an amazing guitar player but it makes it a little bit fiddly so it's kind of in an understated way that if you're just listening to it you go okay there's nothing particularly Mm -hmm. complex about it but it's just it's good it's got like a little bit of subtle intricacy and that reminds me a bit of two other guitar players that i really like um Jordy from Killing Joke. Hell yes, hell and yes. Nico Venner from Oxbow. Uh-huh, so sure. a lot of the time what they're playing is not particularly, like it's not shredding, it's not massively yeah. complicated, but it's it's kind of subtle and it's not, it's, yeah, it's not straightforward, which is kind of getting to the root of what appealed to me about Jane's Addiction was that there's just something a bit kind of odd and off mm-hmm. about the music. <laughs> it's got a sort of a mystery to it, which particularly for me, stands out on three days. It's mm-hmm. this kind of Eastern, mystical, um, you know, it's like, it's almost kind of melancholic, but it's not sad. It's a bit sort of wistful. It's, yeah, it's it's weird. And that that uh, appeals it, to me. It is weirder. And this album in general is, is significantly weirder than the Nothing Shocking, um, which I can, I, I the more I, I absorb that, the more I appreciate like, oh, I can see why someone would prefer this just based on, um, it's a different thing entirely. Uh, I ended up, well, the reason I love the, the, the first one so much is just, man, the, the flow of it is so good. Like, um, it leaves me with the, it's not this, but it leaves me with the impression that it's just one giant piece. Like it, it's, it's seamless. It blends together. It's, it's a perfect one whole, but when you listen to it, they're fucking songs. They end, they fade out. There's like, a, there's actual stops and like like any other regular album where like the song ends and then the next one starts, but it leaves me at the end of it not realizing that. It, it feels so cohesive mm. that I don't even I don't even acknowledge the spaces in between, which is very, very rare. And um there's also a, a similarity in in tone and mood to the whole thing. Even even when it takes a huge shift with Jane says into ballad territory, it still fits in really, really well somehow. Um and then I don't, I don't remember how long it is. Let me double check here. But one of my favorites, if not my absolute favorite on there is, it's not the longest, but it's up there with the longest, uh, Summertime Rolls, which an epic happy song, an epic lengthy happy song. Uh, and I can't think of very, very many songs that make me feel that happy. Or well, it also has that almost, I don't want to say prog rock because it's not, but the, the same way prog kind of, drags things out and leaves giant spaces and big long breaks um i think it's it's super unique and it feels great it it, it always just feels like just a perfect one thought music a giant musical thought whereas ritual feels more like good individual songs that make up a less consistent whole fair point let me offer one counter argument to your statement that nothing's shocking is Perfect. Okay. And I don't remember what you said about this in the episode, but for me, what kind of spoils nothing shocking is Jane says. 
Alex said the same fucking thing. <laughs> What's wrong with that song? I get, I, okay, please keep going, keep going. I think if you're gonna pinpoint what can be most annoying and sort of ear piercing and screechy about Perry Farrell is that song. I don't think there was any point from when I first got into Jane's Addiction where I liked that song. Uh-huh. And it for me, it's it's not to to compare it to to Stairway to Heaven is a slightly strange thing to do, but I remember because I got to see Led Zeppelin when they did the the one show at the O2 Arena with Jason Bonham. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because I'm, I'm not old enough to have seen them originally, but they did that one show. And I remember going to see them with a friend of mine. And I remember thinking to myself completely unrealistically, God, I hope they're not going to do Stairway to Heaven because that's just such, you know, it's been overplayed and it's like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> which was a stupid thing to think. Like, obviously they're going to do Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. But I feel a bit like... For Jane's addiction, Jane says, partly because it's got the whole sort of, it's the mythos about how the band's name was created, that there was this old prostitute who funded them and her name was Jane and Mm -hmm. she was a junkie. And it's just like, they've got this whole story around it that if you go and see them live, they're always going to play that song. Yeah, And I don't like that song. So that, yeah, for me, it kind of instantly gives this, black mark against uh, that, I, so it's against nothing's shocking it's you already didn't like it plus it's like the one that that, that everyone goes to and that they have to play yeah or people will fucking cause a riot and it's the one you'll hear on the radio the most out of all of them uh and i i i did say this in the episode where i i really didn't like it for so long and even now i don't even know if i would isolated in the context of the album i love it, it it's a that's why I feel so much about it being a whole is where you kind of crave something completely different and softer and pleasant and pretty after the song before, which I'm forgetting what it's called, of course. But I think it's a great palate cleanser. It's good for pacing. But if you don't, if you don't, if you really hate the song that much, I guess that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, that is part of it. It doesn't, it doesn't spoil the album for me. I still like it. I still think it's got amazing stuff on it. I, I like every other song. And Jane says doesn't cause me pain, but it just feels like uh, on a different level for me to the rest of it. And there's nothing on Ritual Delo Habitual that irritates me like that track. And I do agree with you about Summertime Rolls. I think Summertime Rolls is fantastic. Like that's probably my favorite track from Nothing Shocking. And I think Ted, just admit it, is another one of these expansive, almost kind of proggy, meandering tracks Mm -hmm. that you could compare to some of the longer stuff like three days on ritual de lo habitual Mm -hmm. but for me personally three days and then she did and some of the other going back to sort of the guitar you know there are other parts of ritual de lo habitual that are just kind of bigger standouts for me than the high points on nothing shocking i see so you're going more for the the standouts and what sticks with you um where I, I seem to, at least I, I've, I've noticed this about my my taste in general. Where um, I'll forgive weak stuff if the whole is is complete for me. So like one sh- one song that I, I definitely would never listen to it on its own. I, I don't think it's that great of a song, but I accept it as part of the whole. Is uh, standing in the shower thinking, which is like it's silly and goofy and kind mm-hmm. of ridiculous. It's got cool you know percussive elements, but it it comes and goes, and it, it's like it's almost like the ends justify the means for that song 
or yeah, it's not special on its own, but it, it moves things forward. It has like its place in, in, in pacing. Um, though I don't think ritual has paced quite as well. And I say that from the jump because stop is a great opener. It's a very cool song. Uh, but no one's leaving. I still like it, but just the momentum feels like a, a shift. It doesn't feel like it. Whereas, I mean, what, what's the, the opening oops, opening tracks and nothing shocking where we're up to beach is mostly an intro, but it's like a, it's more like a, a setup to the whole album. Vocals are kind of spacey and ambient and they kind of sound ridiculous. Honestly, he's very nasally and whiny, but then ocean size comes on and it's that, that fucking acoustic arpeggio to guitar in the intro and like something about that. It's like, Oh, here we go, baby. Here we yeah. go. So I think it, it just has a, as a full hole is why, uh, but I see your point. <laughs> but like I say, this is, this is not one that I feel really passionate about in terms of arguing against nothing shocking. Cause I still love nothing shocking. Mm. It's just that, yeah, it, it did kind of surprise me. Like I said, because I always just thought, well, obviously ritual de Loha Bitchell is amazing. Like, how could you not love that? So it was, it was kind of interesting for me to hear you two talking about it, particularly when you didn't like them as people. I was mm. like, Hmm, okay, now I'm going to go back and, and, uh, and see how I feel. But I actually got Ritual de Lo Habitual on vinyl just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I wow. found it here. Oh, nice. So I got to listen to it again. And yeah, I, I, I would still, I mean, you would hope I would still say it was my favorite because that's what I'm arguing right now. Fair enough. But it still, um, it stood the test of time for me. So, so yeah, but as I say, I think they're both great. I just, yeah, I have my own personal feelings that Ritual de Lo Habitual is the peaks are a little bit higher and it doesn't have anything which is so irritating like uh, Jane says. That is a fair <laughs> summation. All right. Right on. We took uh, about 27 minutes to do one. <laughs> I had a feeling that would happen. Like, I wasn't worried about this being too short. That's for sure. All right. On to the next. Okay. So next up, number two. Next up is Soundgarden. Soundgarden. Oh, one of my favorites. One of Actually, I was a... It's one of the little things I hold against Alex is that he wasn't as jazzed about him as I was. Uh, and they're one of my favorite bands of all time. I mm. one of my biggest influences, period, especially uh, vocally, which I don't sound anything like Chris Cornell, but it's like a it's a peak that you strive toward. And yes, yeah, I was a kid, I was always in love with this band and the arguments that you're making. Well, I'm the argument that I'm making is down on the upside is better than King Animal. King Animal. So on the episode. Uh, down on the upside was my least favorite. Alex hated it pretty much and gave it his worst and least favorite. Uh, whereas the King Animal was like, yeah, it's not the Soundgarden that that's godly, but it's surprisingly good. Like for especially for a reunion album, and uh, it feels way more like the Soundgarden that I love than Down on the Upside. Uh, it has more, a little bit more complexity, uh, and I did go back to both of these, but first. I want to hear your case and your thoughts on the episode and all that. Okay, so I think I actually have similar feelings and similar background with Soundgarden to you. So like I said before about Jane's Addiction, I I had a problem with metal or things that were too, or that I felt was too kind of macho and aggressive for a while. And then when I was receptive to getting into heavier stuff, Soundgarden was kind of the one for me, like I really became obsessed with them and to the point where, uh, and this is showing my age, I suppose, it, it was the time of making your own little cassette mixtapes. Hell yeah. I mean, I, even I did that. When it, so 
shit. All right. <laughs> Either I don't feel so old or you feel old. It's both, I think. But um, there were a few bands, and Soundgarden were one of them, that I would have a whole mixtape that was just songs by them. Mm-hmm. So that's just to indicate that I was mad keen on Soundgarden. Yeah. And um, yeah, similarly to you, I wanted to 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 be like Chris Cornell in terms of my singing style, which yeah. is completely unrealistic. It, but it, um, the, the more I try, I'm like, how the fuck is he doing that? <laughs> Why? How? It doesn't. I try to because you can hear other voices. Not to, to, to go into too much of a uh, divergence, but you hear a lot of a lot of singers. And as a guy who's practiced a lot of singing, I'm sure you as well. You can kind of you can acknowledge or at least understand. What what register they're at? Mm. Where and how far in their head they're singing, as opposed to their chest or whatever. You can kind of like, oh yeah, clearly he's going up right there, and that's where he, he he switches registers. With Cornell, I still can't fucking figure out where he switches because it mm. all sounds like a scream, no matter how if he's singing low in his chest or he's singing high. It always sounds powerful and like a scream, but it's impossible to scream some of those highest notes as a man, like purely impossible. So clearly he's doing. The head stuff, the head voice stuff, but it just doesn't sound like it. And that is a gift from God that most of us do not have. All right. He had a set of pipes on him. Indeed. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> so the what was it that I, I guess I got into them around about the time that they were sort of disintegrating. So it was around about down on the upside. And then they had a, a collection, which I think was just called A-Sides. A-Sides, I, I had that as a kid. Yeah. And I, I love that. And it had a couple of extra tracks on it that weren't in the albums. Like I think Bleed Together was one of them that I really, really liked. Oh, I haven't heard that in so many years. And um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I just sort of, it, it takes me back to maybe my last year in school and, you know, like the summer at the end of school and going home in the afternoon and listening to this weird guitar stuff. And I, you know, I went through all their albums and I, I was into most of the stuff at that point. And I, I think pretty quickly I recognized that Bad Motor Finger, Super Unknown and Down on the Upside were the ones that I liked yeah. the most. And there's a little bit of like one difference between us, I think, in terms of where we came from with the music that we, we liked growing up is that I had to get into more raw stuff later. So I didn't come from a, a sort of a punk hardcore background i came from listening to like very shiny uh well-produced yep. pop music yep. and then i got into heavy music so i ended up sort of getting into the more shiny well-produced heavy music before i developed the ability to appreciate stuff that was yeah less well-produced right, right. or less heavily produced so maybe that's part of the reason why down on the upside appealed to me is that I think it's really, really well produced. And I actually I looked it up and I discovered that I think it's it's produced by the same person that produced King Animal. Oh, is it? And it's uh who who is it? What's the that name of the guy? That is two seconds. That is Adam Casper. Ah, it's Adam Casper. There okay. we go. Because I was I was listening to Down the Upside again. And I was thinking, like, oh, this is so good. Like, this sounds so good. Like, who produced this? Right, it was Adam Casper. Right, okay, there's one argument. And then I looked at King Animal and went, who produced this? I'm like, hmm, it's Adam Casper, right? Well, that argument goes out the window. Yeah, I wonder what happened there. But, okay, so basically my my headline about the the differences between Down on the Upside and King Animal and why I think Down on the Upside is is better. And I I wasn't sure. Going into this, I was wondering, hmm, when I go back to this, am I going to have to kind of push myself to really feel 
as positive about down on the upside as I did before. Because I've, you know, I've looked online and I've seen what people said about it. And there's a lot of fairly negative um, opinions about down on the upside that mm. it's kind of bloated, it's a bit messy, it's sort of directionless, it's 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 you know massively inferior to super unknown. And I thought, when I go back to this, am I gonna feel that way? And the answer is no. Really? Um, okay. I would even say I think it might be my favorite Soundgarden album. <laughs> You're out of your goddamn mind. <laughs> I'm leaving the country just for that. So I'll, I'll state my case for Down on the Upside, and then Please we, can, do. we can get to my feelings about King Animal, because I have, I have relatively strong feelings about King Animal as well. So Down on the Upside, you know, going through it track by track. So Pretty Noose, I think you were both keen on. I think you were actually more keen on it than, Alex, than I Alex. I was disappointed by how not keen on it Alex was, because I think it's one of their best songs by far. I think it's a great track. And also I'm, I, I want the opportunity or I have the opportunity. So I'm glad to, to say publicly what I've said repeatedly to people over the years. And no one's really ever been that taken by this idea. But I think that fucking Lenny Kravitz's Fly Away is ripped off Pretty Noose. Just made into a really, really more boring song yeah oh but anyway oh. that's kind of beside the point but it's a great track um rhinosaur it's kind of silly but i think it's it's satisfying it's a bit of like a template for audio slave oh um, yeah no kidding but here's the thing that it's got which king animal doesn't have and what um audio slave doesn't have as well it's got a face melting kim thyle guitar it, solo yeah it does have kim thyle my only problem with Kim Thyle on this entire record is that he's clearly neutered. Like clearly he's, his influence is being limited. It seems like, and I think it's, it's significantly worse if you you're coming directly off of super unknown mm. or bad motor either. Um, you hear just how much of a regular ass Chris Cornell album this is because there's only moments where it's like, Oh, there he is. There's Kim. There is, there's my man. Oh, I, I disagree with this strongly. Really? I disagree with this please, very please. strongly. Well, I, I disagree that it's a regular-ass Chris Cornell album, and I don't remember if I've specifically marked it down here, but if you go through who wrote... Yeah, I think we've, yeah. we've got it over there. Okay, yeah. so if you look at the track listing, right? So Rhinosaur is Matt Cameron. Yep. Zero Chance is written by Ben Shepard. Zero Chance, I'd say, is probably one of the weaker tracks, but I still actually think it's it's a genuinely emotive track it's a bit of a change of pace it's a bit more kind of acoustic-y yeah it's got a weird tuning the chords are odd that is, um, that is a very very good song dusty again is probably one of the weaker tracks but i still like it it's still kind of catchy and that's ben shepherd shepherd did a lot of writing on this album ty cobb is brilliant it is brilliant it's like I, alex didn't like that when i was <laughs> en enraged i fucking love that song it's like banjo and mandolin thrash yep. or yeah, whatever it is. It's uh, a lot of F-bombs. There's a lot of F-bombs in that one. Um, did I say F-bombs? F-bombs. <laughs> um, Blow Up the Outside World, I suppose now that I'm 41, it maybe feels a little bit more attuned for moody adolescence. But, <sighs> it's beautifully written regardless. Of, I mean, I do get that sentiment. Uh, and again, this is all, these are all songs that Alex just fucking hated, which I don't agree with or understand because blow up the outside world um it's a it's a little long i guess but it's extremely well written and completely unique for soundgarden at this point it's a beautifully written uh on the darker side 
almost ballad. Yeah, and it's the the guitar chords. Like I remember when I was starting to play guitar, that was one of the tracks that I learned to play, and I really I like the chord progressions yeah. in that. You know, it was very not, good chord progressions. It was not too weird and avant garde for a basic guitar player. You know, it's like mostly just major and minor chords, but I like. I like the progression through it. It's uh yeah, it's just a it's like a it's a journey of a corporate progression because mm. it, it sets you up with one thing and then it develops and then it develops and then then it repeats, uh, which is not simple at all, but uh easily accessible. Yeah. You know, yeah. Burden in my hands. Oh, one of my yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite Soundgarden songs. Really? Uh yeah. What did I say? Yeah, I said, I wrote in my notes, one of their best ever tracks, all the instrumental interplay is great. It is. There's some, the, the acoustic guitars in that song are very, very bright and almost, not, not Eastern sounding, but closer to Eastern sounding than Western sounding, if I had to say. Mm. There's, some, there's something very bright and buzzy about the acoustic guitars in this album. And then I think probably in the next part may have been an area that you both sort of glossed over or you weren't really that bothered about um never named oh that is a dog shit song <laughs> i like never named. You like it i hate it and let me say what i think about it as well like it, it was never one of my favorite ones but when i listen to it now i think okay this is like a lot of the stuff on king animal but it's got more energy interesting i i just hate the choices it does have a lot of energy but the choices the actual riffs they feel so corny yeah, I mean, I don't feel strongly about it, so I'm not going to argue too much that one. Um, Applebyte, I think, is great. That's actually one of my favorite tracks on the album. If I'm not mistaken, that's like the, the the lengthier, more psychedelic one. Yeah, it's this sort of creepy experimentation with this sort of echoey, muffly yep. um, Chris Cornell vocal. I think that one's written by Matt Cameron. It is, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. That is a very good one. Um, Never the Machine Forever wasn't like one of the ones I loved so much at the time but going back to it now i i really like it that's the only kim thiel track on the whole album um and i remember alex was big on this one and i was less so because it, it's a cool song it's got i mean it, it's this thing it's objectively good but i'm when you're coming off of the the godly albums you you have to compare it. it's just it's almost like inherent uh and it's like my favorite thing about soundgarden that i preach endlessly is that they're insanely complicated and technical with odd time signatures, but you can't tell or you don't notice it. It, mm. it manages to be accessible while also being super complex. That song is in nine, I think, and you feel like it's in nine. So it's not like it's a bad thing on its own. I like plenty of odd time signatures that feel odd, but like it's a, it's a, it's a shift to where like, oh, why does this one suddenly feel obvious? Whereas all the mm. others were like almost subtle and uh, insidious with their complications. I do see what you mean. Yeah, I think that was that whether I sort of consciously recognized that when I when I used to listen to it, I'm not sure, but I, I know what you mean. It has that there's something about it that yeah, it's it's very obviously in a weird time signature. Yeah, very obviously. Um but yeah, there's one note that I put here, which is gonna get to a point that I'll be making about King Animal. Um the yeah at the end, and I've written singing with passion without sounding like David Coverdale. That's pretty good. <laughs> now, here's here's the thing, which, uh, like a little anecdote, when I was, well, I guess I was like 19 or 20, so I was still in my, my sound garden phase. I was working for this music shop called HMV in the UK. I don't, I don't know if you ever had no. HMV in America. I don't believe so. 
they they kind of stopped existing and now they're back again. But now they're like you know selling headphones. Ah, oh, they're trying to survive. And basically, mobile phone covers. <laughs> yeah, but I I worked in the warehouse there, and I remember it was when the Audio Slave, the first Audio Slave album, came out, and I was so excited. So I I stuck it on in the warehouse, and I remember one of the the guys, the full time guys in the warehouse, like very quiet, understated guy, was like, "Hmm, sounds like David Coverdale." And I, I remember the time thinking, like, "No, this doesn't sound like David Coverdale. This is this is this is Chris Cornell. What are you talking about?" And then over the years, from time to time, I'm like, "Yeah, the David Coverdale uh, comparison is Ooh. reasonable." <laughs> These things develop over time. As soon as you let let them sit and let them let them settle, like, "Yeah, well, maybe it goes right." And that is something that I found myself thinking a fair bit when I was listening to King Animal was like, all right, it's, you're, you're singing like David Coverdale. Uh, so that's one of the things, that's kind of why I wrote that down is, for me here, Chris Cornell is still, I guess, at a period of his life where he was Chris Cornell. And I, I feel like maybe he becomes a bit of a Chris Cornell parody by um, King Animal. Uh, the age absolutely shows. Whereas obviously here, just still in the in the pretty much the peak of his of his vocals, um, so let's I guess move on a little bit too. Unless you, there's more you want to add. Um, yeah, still I, some mean, tracks. I mean, Tighter and Tighter and Tighter, I love. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually there's maybe one track on here that people might not uh, be so into that um, I don't remember if you said much about it, but I think it's Overfloater. I yeah. don't remember if you said much about that. That's one of my favorite songs. Is it? Album. I mean, yeah. the whole last chunk, I'm like, oh, God, let it end. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't feel that way at all. And just to sort of, you know, talk about it a bit more in general, one of the things that I actually think is a strength of this album, and I'd contrast it against King Animal, is the the different members making their own songs. Like, obviously, uh, Chris Cornell is doing almost all of the lyrics. Yeah. But if you look through who's writing the music, there's a spread. Bet- I, fair enough, Kim Thiles only got one, but there's yeah. quite a, a broad spread between Ben Shepard and Matt Cameron and Chris Cornell. Maybe if you don't like the Ben Shepard stuff, that's sort of like a clear way of going, I'm not right. into this album, but I like a lot of the Ben Shepard stuff on here. I see. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, I see. I see. Hmm. Well, I don't dislike a lot of the Ben Shepard. I feel like it's kind of hit or miss, I, I, but I ultimately... Um, it's probably the, the Cornell stuff that I don't like the most, even though some of the best songs are his. So which are the which are the songs that you really dislike? Uh well that would be I mean, number one disliked is is a Shepherd song. That's never named. Okay. Like, but I also love Zero Chance. So it's like, well, he does stuff I love and hate. Mm-hmm. I don't I can't put I can't peg that guy. It's interesting. Uh but yeah, toward the I mean it does feel bloated. It does it is a very long album, and I think it's significantly harder to get through like i said before coming off of anything before because they've always had pretty long albums but mm. there's always some kind of wackiness or craziness um or you know insanely heavy stuff to go along with it these well there's still diversity in the, in the presentation and the mood and, and all that uh there's not a lot of craziness there's a there's for one there's a bunch of acoustic guitars which never rarely was before but it seems like we're just gonna it's gonna be way more straightforward and digestible the, the acoustic guitar is gonna take a, a you know take a front seat here uh and i think that gets older over the course of 65 minutes than everything else they've done interesting i i, I see the argument but i don't really feel that way like i said i was i was curious going back to it 
the other day to see how I felt about it. And I thought that I was going to come out of it with tracks that I was kind of bored with and just wanted it to, to end. But no, I quite happily listened from start to finish and not feel like it's dragging. I did not. I will say this. I did not dislike it nearly as much as when I did the episode when I listened mm. to it. So I think context is a, bit, is a big factor in that when you hear it, uh, where you hear it. And then if you're not directly comparing it to their previous albums, like as, a, as a standalone album, I think most records would do a lot better um, than, you know, judging side by side with any of that band's other albums. So I think as a, like a straightforward rock record, it's actually, it's actually very good. And, and especially the highlights here are very, very high. Mm. Uh, whereas King Animal, which I suppose we should transition to. Yep. Uh, I feel, I felt the, almost in a James Addiction way where it's like, I like it better as a whole, not a single song on here matches the heights of Down on the Upside, even though I do like it more as a whole album. It's got one good song. Oh, you do one good song, you say. <laughs> oh, bold. Which, which song is that? And also, I, I would like to make it clear that in case it's not clear enough already, I love and have loved Soundgarden for years, and I have absolute gigantic respect for all of the members. And so if I'm going to be critical of King Animal, it's from the perspective of feeling disappointed by an album of a band that I absolutely love, like one of my favorite bands mm -hmm. of all time, just in case the opportunity ever arises to interview any of the other members of Soundgarden. <laughs> no, cover Let's ass. be clear. <laughs> um, the, only, the only song from King Animal, no, and I don't really think that the music any of the music on King Animal is bad. I think some of the lyrics are appalling. <laughs> and I'll, I've got a few references of lyrics that are especially bad. Please. But um, I th the, the, the way I feel about King Animal in general is that it's, it's bang average pretty much the whole way through. And I have, um, I have ideas about why um, it comes across that way to me. But the only song that I genuinely like is Bones of Birds. Oh, thank you. Thank you. At least, at least that. Because that is the best song on the album by far. Thank you. At least for that. Uh, <laughs> I do love that song, truly. So, I okay. I yeah. How do you feel about it now? And has your opinion gone down, or is it just that down on the upside went a bit up? I think it's about the same. Down on the upside went up because I still like this album. I still like it more. Uh, again, as a, as a full thing, I think uh, it, there's more. I can't say experimentation. It's not really experimenting. It's just more. It felt more like them, um, which shouldn't uh, in itself shouldn't be a deciding factor of how much I, I like the album because I like when bands do different stuff. But the, what makes it different, it feels more like them in, in a lot of ways. But the songs don't sound like them for the most part. There are there, are, I mean, that, and that goes both ways. Like uh, the opener, "Been Away Too Long," I think is pretty pretty fucking average. Uh, I'm glad you said that. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a little bit on the nose as well. It's just like, hey yes. guys. We've been around for, we've been away for a while. What are we going to call the, the, the breakout song? Let's call it been away for too long. I've got it. It's a little bit on the nose. Sure is. And I was okay with it at first. And the more I hear it, the more it's like, this is just pentatonic. And then it's just, it's a high energy and it's like, it's get, it's get everybody moving kind of song. It's not really. It's David Coverdale. It's David Coverdale. Uh, but then, so I can see this about a lot of the songs on here. Um, aside from Bones of Birds. And even that one a little bit, it's like every song in here is half what I love and then half what I can fucking take or leave. Mm -hmm. It's like every no song all, all, the, all the way through, I think, is 
like a well-rounded great Soundgarden song, except for maybe Rowing, which is not. It's basically not a Soundgarden song if you were to categorize Soundgarden as a type of thing, because it sounds nothing like they've ever done. It's way more bluesy than anything. Um, but I find it to be a very hypnotic, hooky song. Very I think, repetitive. I, I think the only notes I've got on Rowing was where I was making notes about how bad the lyrics are. And I've I've written a couple of references of specific lines, and then I've written all of rowing. <laughs> so I think that was basically my takeaway from that song. <laughs> the lyrics are so appalling that uh, I'm not even going to think about the music. Oh, so I'm, in that sense, I'm fucking glad I don't pay so much attention to lyrics. Because <laughs> holy shit. Uh, now I'm thinking of the song and trying to remember that as, remember that as the lyrics. Uh, it's got, I mean, the, 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 it's basically one one mode the whole way through and it's all revolving around that fucking insane baseline but i don't know how you ignore a baseline like that it's a it's a first of all it's a dirty bass but he's tapping he's doing this weird bloody 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 it's oh, yeah he's, he's bass tapping which is a very rare and uh first for soundgarden probably and it that is one of their most if not their most modern sounding song or at least modern for the time where like that would be on the radio in 2010 that kind of thing where it's like it feels very modern but it still has um a touch of weirdness with that crazy bass and like even when the when the when the song builds up and it gets louder and then guitars come in if you listen closely it's not that well produced but if you listen closely the entire time ben is still doing that tapping bass line in the background it's just not mixed that well but it's a it's a another example of like them doing the weird thing, but making it super accessible, but just in a different, in a way that feels like a different band. So basically what you're saying is if you listen really, really carefully to the last track, you'll hear some cool shit. <laughs> <laughs> you're condescending sack of shit. <laughs> listen closely to everything except the lyrics. My, not, not, not actually disagreeing with anything that you're saying there, um, but my assumption or my conclusion about this album which is not based on on any evidence but just my uh yeah my my conclusions about this is that they went away they did their own things they came back and they reformed and when it came to going back and recording they thought about how the band finished before and they thought about the bad reception that down on the upside got that you know it was kind of like drifting away from maybe what expect uh, people expected Soundgarden to sound like. Mm -hmm. So I can totally understand that when they came back, they went, right, uh, again, I don't know if they did this, but I can imagine that at a certain point they went, right, we need to create something that is like, has got the spirit of Soundgarden. And I sort of feel like with King Animal that they were playing it safe in a way that they, they wanted it to sound like the kind of record that Soundgarden would make. Like to mm. me, it's got a little bit of this air of, the the story of uh what's it called the metallica album that rick rubin produced Death oh, Magnetic, Death Magnetic, yeah. where apparently he said to them just go and make a record that metallica would make yeah like that's the way i kind of feel about king animal except the thing is they're doing it um what when did it come out it's like 15 years after they last made an album about yeah like 2012 2010. or something like that i think it was i thought it was 2010 but i might be misremembering it could well be i'm just pulling that number out. no you're right 2012 yeah there you go. Look at that. You got a good memory on you. So yeah, to me, it, it kind of feels like they're they're nervously creating something that's gonna appeal to Soundgarden fans and not piss off Soundgarden fans. And what it ends up being 
to me when I listen to it is just yeah, it's just bang average. There's there's stuff that sounds kind of like Audio Slave, which at this point to me is a bit boring. And like, the first, like the first album, like the first album. <laughs> I did, I did like the first album, but it's just, it just all plods. It plods along, yeah. and even though, like, I think when you were talking about this album compared to Down on the Upside, you were saying it had more energy. I actually, and I don't know if it's exactly what you said, but give me the sentiment. I, I, I don't feel that with this. I feel like it's got it's got more tempo, but it's bland. It's oh. bland for me. It's bland. I do completely understand that that going in making a Soundgarden record rather than making you know what comes out, uh, because yeah, like like I said before, no full song feels complete in that sense. Mm. Whether it's like maybe one song will start with a, a fucking killer riff and then it goes to this chorus and like what the fuck? Like this makes no sense musically. Mm. It makes no sense. It's just this strange uh, wrench of a bland riff thrown into what was kind of a interesting quirky you know opener uh and that's basically the whole thing where i don't, I don't know exactly what went into the writing of this but down on the upside those still feel really thought at least the, the the highlights for me still feel really thought out and and constructed um whereas this one feels a little bit a little bit to say the least disjointed uh but it I've, it, I've noticed uh, myself enjoying a lot of albums like this. The other one that comes to mind immediately is Gore by Deftones, mm. where like it'll most songs in that album, they come in hot with just an incredible main riff. And then as it goes on, it'll go into like, this, you know, average riff, average riff, average riff, and then back to that main cool riff. So it gives you the impression like, well, it's still consistent that it keeps your focus or it keeps your attention with every passing track, but there is not a lot of depth within each track. Mm. And I think that's, pretty much what this album is and why I can still enjoy it because it does keep me keep me hooked with like you know the the novelty of each new song feeling pretty cool and interesting but if I were to like sit down and, and analyze each one it's like there's not that much there I feel or I felt the last time I listened to this album listening through it, in a way it feels kind of cohesive like it feels like the band is writing songs together but it doesn't feel like they're writing very memorable songs. That's kind of how it is. Fair enough. And just just to pull out, because I mentioned the lyrics. um, Yes. Dreamed I was in a maze and couldn't get out. Profound. I might cry. Um, And I also wrote Black Saturday, Counting Crows, Play Soundgarden. And then I wrote Worst Dreams, Covers Band, Playing Soundgarden. Anyway, I mean, it's kind of, it's just... (laughs) It, it's like I say, it's nothing It's nothing to me that's terrible. It just feels like a very average version of Soundgarden. And to me, that is, well, actually, that's a bit of a, a contradiction because it's average, but I feel like everything else they did wasn't average. Okay. All right. I can see why the, the extreme bitterness in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So what are we doing next? Ah, family man, family man. Family man. Family man. Family man. Family man. (laughs) Now I'm assuming this is the one that you thought there's absolutely no way. It is not. It is not. Oh, it's not. I, as much as we're talking about Black Flag, by the way, as much as I fucking loathe Family Man, the album, I, in a weird way, I can, I can, I'm open to the argument. I'm interested in the argument. What is the argument? Okay. So, it's, I've kind of got this from the family man point of view and from the damaged 
perspective. I think Damaged is a great album. I was listening to it today and I, I enjoy listening to it the whole way through. There are aspects of it that I think are, that, well, they're, within the context of everything that's been done by Black Flag, a lot of these songs exist elsewhere. So a lot of these songs were recorded with the previous vocalists. I didn't go yeah. through and work out exactly which, like you can maybe say, because you probably know the, the early stuff better than me, but like Rise Above, I feel like that was one of the ones that was written for the album or was that one they already had before? I, I, I it might've been for the album. Um, Rise Above, Spray Paint, um, what I see perhaps. TV uh, party and six pack definitely existed before definitely. they had versions yeah. with whichever was it Keith Morris or uh, I believe those were Dez. I want to see Dez. Good well being. I could. Well, you know what TV party was always Henry. Oh, actually. was it? All right. I mean, yeah, that, that's right. Um, six pack was Dez, hundred um, percent. And yeah. then along with uh, damaged, damaged one, there was a, a the Dez version. Uh, a lot of songs. Yeah, there's a lot of repeats on here for sure. There's not. There's not really much in the way of tracks that I that I particularly don't like. I mean, one of the things that I was uh, noting was, and this is a bit nitpicky, but No More, Rise Above, and Six Pack are all kind of the same song. But I mean, I realize once you go into hardcore and you go into punk and you start saying, well, this song sounds like this song, it's like, yeah, all right, there's not going to be a huge amount of musical yeah. variation. Yeah. But the, it gets a bit repetitive to me. But yeah, I'm not really... I'm not really arguing so much against damage in itself, but it's more the way that they were already doing this for several years before Henry Rollins joined. And obviously Henry Rollins came in going like, holy shit, this, I'm going to join Black Flag. This is amazing. Yeah. And it feels to me a bit like him trying to find a way to fit into this thing and this style that already existed. And so... I love Henry Rollins and I was into Rollins band before I was into Black Flag. And I personally enjoy Rollins being more Rollins in Black Flag oh, okay. rather than Rollins playing the music of Black Flag. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Damage, is, Damage is a weird album. It's a specifically weird hardcore album because it, uh, sure, a lot of hardcore bands put out really rough, chaotic records. But this one seems especially rough and chaotic. It's a bit rinky-dink in places. Yeah. And it's one of the worst produced <laughs> best albums ever, I would say. Because all you hear is Henry and drums for the most part. Because like bass and both guitars are just a fucking cacophonous mess. Mm. And you can kind of make out, obviously, the songs in between there. But... It's really Henry's voice that's making these songs. And that's why I think they feel insanely different than the original versions of, you know, the songs that were re-recorded. Like, uh, and, and so you said Rise Above, Spray Paint, and Six Pack all feel the same to you? I don't know if I said Spray Okay, I yeah. Think no more no, Rise Above and th Six Pack. There we go. Because, like, Spray Paint is like, I, don't, I can't think of a single other Black Flag song that sounds like Spray Paint. That is, it's probably one of the most hardcore songs. But, uh, yeah, Rise Above and Six Pack. And then TV Party, they have like, they're one of the, f the few tracks on this album that there is a, a really hooky, really discernible riff. Mm. Uh, whereas a lot of it is just fucking sheer chaos, getting lost in the aggression. And ultimately, that's why I, I, I love the album is the nonsense of it. The, the, the way you can't figure anything out. The way 
that the songs are essentially Henry's screaming and the the rest. That's like what the album is to me. It's always just Henry's fucking voice screaming over insane, almost uh, indiscernible uh, hardcore, uh, which I could also see why that's why plenty of people would not think this is their best or enjoy it. Well, I, like, I definitely, I still enjoy Henry Rollins going crazy and I appreciate the sort of the, this is going to sound very condescending, the youthful energy of Henry Rollins. <laughs> look at him, look at him go, look at him get after it. You know, like obviously I've, I've, you know, I've read loads of the, the stories and the lore and I've, I've read get in the van and I've, I've read other stuff. So I kind of understand a bit or I know a bit about the background and the context. And I think it's incredible that he came in and he, you know, he gave up his his managerial position in Hagen does. Oh man, it must have been difficult. And went and joined this incredibly grueling touring machine that was was Black Flag. I like, you know, the, the whole the whole kind of mythology and the lore of it is incredible. But even though I enjoy listening to him singing along to this stuff in this young, rabid way, I find that as he gets older, he it's more satisfying hearing him really going crazy. And I think, you know, as an example, to my point, I think it's damaged one. Mm -hmm. I remember when I got this album, the first of all, it was sort of coming from Rollins band and I identified, oh, that's the track where it's like Henry Rollins being able to sort of stamp his own identity yeah. on it. And it's fine, it's cool, but it's not to me as satisfying as stuff from like a Lifetime or um, hard volume Rollins band. So it just, it it's like what I'm going there for, but it's not the best example of it. Mm. And I could get that from somewhere else. Yeah. I never thought of, it's silly that I never thought of comparing Black Flag to Rollins band, but because Damage One is the, the one like people go to, like that's his first time fucking being, being Henry and going, mm. going ham as Henry. But yeah, if you listen to some Rollins band stuff, it is so much more. He goes so much more Henry. He goes fucking insane. And it's, I think it's underappreciated and definitely not uh, respected enough or talked about enough because holy shit, he, like, it's, it really does make this stuff look tame, um, which you wouldn't expect from a band that's far more accessible and like more like hard rock than a band like Black Flag. Uh, but I do, I do get a lot of that. I do understand what you're, where you're coming from. Now I've got, before we get okay. on to the family man, I've got one more thing to throw out here. And I don't know if this is going to be a kind of a sacrilegious thing to say, but on the topic of comparing black flag to Rollins band, are you familiar with the free, the West Memphis three tribute album no. that Rollins band did? Ooh. So I forget the year that this came out, but Henry Rollins was a big advocate for the, the guys, the West Memphis Three that were accused of this ritualistic murder of kids. Do you know about oh, this? I don't. This is, fa this is fascinating. Okay, so uh, I, I wasn't prepared to talk about this. Let's see how much I can remember. In West Memphis, there was an incident, um, I want to say it was about 20 years ago, where some young kids of like eight or 10 were tortured and murdered, and there were kind of ritualistic satanic looking elements and it was in a very bible belt not receptive to rock and metal area and it seems or there's a strong argument that the three teenage boys that were arrested and charged for it were kind of i don't know framed necessarily but they were picked out because they 
were outcasts and they listened to Marilyn Manson and Metallica mm-hmm. and you know they had the dark t-shirts right. and they were into occult things and henry they it's it's a bizarre like you can you can look it up online and read about it they got released recently but it was a weird ruling whereby the police don't have to give them compensation so they were in prison for like 20 years and then they were released but it wasn't like they were pardoned it was it was weird i i don't even understand the way it was done but it seems to be they were released in such a way that the police can't be sued <laughs> But they released, and Henry Rollins was one of the the biggest, most vocal, outspoken advocates for them. And he created a album to support them, uh, Free the West Memphis Three. And it was basically Black Flag songs with um, Rollins' band. So it was at that time, it was when he had Mother Superior as his backing band. They played all the Black Flag songs, and Henry Rollins sang some of them but they had different guests coming in. So, for example, they do Thirsty and Miserable with Lemmy. Oh, shit. They do Police Story with Ice-T. Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> Who else would you? Yeah. They do, I think Gimme, Gimme, Gimme is with um, Dean Ween. I may have misremembered that one. Um, Six oh, Pack shit. is with Mike Patton. Fuck. Um, I, I love it. Now, like I say, it might be a bit kind of going back to what I said before about not being into the, or not not coming from being into so much raw music that it's it's more crisply produced than this album. So some people that are into the early Black Flag might go like, oh, this is a bit mm-hmm. overproduced. But what can I say? It's what I prefer. So a lot of the tracks on here, I would rather listen to on the three, the West Memphis three album. Interesting. I think why I love this album so much isn't even the songs. It's just the whole thing, the, whole, the way the whole thing feels. Like, um, I think songs like, uh, I mean, most of the songs, honestly, especially especially Depression, uh, which I love the song, but I don't necessarily like this version of of Depression as Depression because it's so nuts. It's so hard to to you know hear the actual riffs. Henry is so overpowering the whole song. It doesn't really feel like the song Depression that Black Flag wrote. Mm-hmm. It feels like its own thing that it is on damaged. So I think that's why I like the, the album in general. Why I think it's the best in a way, like. Uh, because the songs aren't even the songs; it's all just damaged. Mm-hmm. So I think if you want, if you want to appreciate the actual songs more, uh, this isn't the place for it. Like this album is like almost the worst place to enjoy these songs as the songs. If that makes any sense? I think it might do. And by the way, just side note: my favorite song on this album is um, "Damaged 2. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Specifically for the tiny little bit that comes in about three or four times where it goes, dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun. yeah. All right. That's pretty rad. That's a pretty random thing to say. Like, yeah, I love this three second bit in this one song, but that's punk, man. It's the bit that pops out. And now family, man, family, man. <laughs> right. So, so obviously you've got Henry Rollins doing spoken word and you've got the you've got one track where it's him and the band playing Armageddon Man, which I think is a super cool track, very jazzy, and uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's a cool tune. Okay, um, and then you've got all the instrumental stuff, and it's obviously musically quite different from what they were doing back in the Damaged 100%. time. So, I but let's say let's take for example if you. Well, let's no. Let's first of all, the the like the overarching statement that I want to make about this era of the band is 
I gravitate more towards all of this like 84, 85. The, the dream team lineup. The, yeah. the dream team lineup. I, I love Kira as the bass player. Like yeah. Chuck Dukowski is amazing, but it's in a very different style. And obviously that's kind of part of the story of how he ended up getting pushed out of the band is that Greg Ginn wanted to be more jazzy. I keep saying the word jazzy, but he wanted to, to do something that was less hardcore, less straight yep. ahead. And he didn't feel like Chuck Dukowski could cut it, so he brought in Kira. And I, I like Kira a lot as a bass player. I like the bass lines that she has. I like all of the bass lines on this, of all of the instrumental stuff and Armageddon Man. Um, I feel like if you don't like the kind of dicking around, the jazzy dicking around, then this can definitely be a turnoff. For sure. But I think if you could pair this to The Art of Weeding Out, The Art of Weeding Out's got stuff that I think is really cool, but then it just goes on and on sure and does. on. Whereas with this one, like what's the longest track? Well, it's Armageddon Man. Right. But apart from that, you know, all the instrumental stuff is like two minutes, four minutes. Yeah. The, the longest I, is, uh, I won't stick any of you unless and until. Yeah, yeah. That one's almost six minutes long, you know, which is like, if you don't like the dicking around, then almost six minutes of dicking around could be annoying, but sure. it's not, you know, 15 minutes of it. It is not. And, and I'm not trying to argue that because they're dicking around for six minutes, that's better than dicking around 15 minutes. Like I like the dicking around as well. Mm. And none of it goes on for long enough that I think, okay, you're just kind of, I see, you know, it's just, it's too much now. Like it feels to me they're distinct tracks, um, which I don't know. I, I think maybe they're more distinct than on the process of weeding out, but that was the one you hated the most. So that's not really the greatest reference point to argue why family man is cool. Right. Um, like I, I, if I remember correctly, you disliked more the spoken word than you did the, it felt way more annoying than like, sure. They have problems with the instrumentals, but the spoken word stuff, like again, almost in the way you, you, you compared uh, early Henry to later Henry. Like mm. I've heard a good spoken word from Henry. Yeah. This ain't it. <laughs> and it's not, it's not his best. <laughs> but some of it's pretty, <laughs> some of it's pretty wild. I mean, I'll never, I'll never get over let the fingers do the walking. Let your fingers do the walking <laughs> is the one that I would have the most difficulty defending. <laughs> I was, I was listening to them again and I was going like, okay, there's, there's bits in each of them that I can, I can pick out elements that I really like. Let the fingers do the walking. The best that I could say is I like the tone of his voice. <laughs> I, I'm not really quite sure what the point of the whole uh, lyrical um, piece is, but uh, yeah, that's that's probably my least favorite. But and maybe this is just a bit a kind of I don't know fandom of of Henry Rollins, but he was such a gigantic influence for me growing up, sort of in my late teens and all the way through my twenties and uh, in a lot of my thirties, uh, pretty much like. From the point that I yeah. discovered him. You know, I love his spoken word stuff. I've listened to so many of his different spoken word albums and the journal writing and interviews as well. Like there's there's various interview shows that I've discovered just because they were interviewing Henry Rollins. Like oh. the first time I ever watched the Joe Rogan podcast was because he was interviewing Henry Rollins. Yeah, and the first time I ever watched Hot Ones, the one where they make the meat, the, yeah. the chicken wings, yeah. it was because of Henry Rollins. And then um, it's like that with a few different podcasts where, where I kind of went, I need to find more interviews with Henry Rollins. I love hearing Henry Rollins yeah. talk. So maybe it's a little bit skewed because I kind of love Henry Rollins so much. And this is going to sound stalkerish, but now that I've already interviewed Henry Rollins, it's okay it's because okay. it's not kind of like, please, Henry Rollins, yeah. let me talk to you. Because <laughs> yeah. I've already talked to you're him, done, so it's done, fine. You're I'm good. done with it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, but 
you know, and I and I don't want that to mean that I'll love anything that Henry Rollins does, but maybe there's an element of the fact that I I really have such an appreciation for him that maybe I'm less inclined to pick out things that might be irritating to other people. And it's more like, even if it's not his best stuff, I'm kind of like, oh, it's endearing. It's, it's still Henry. It's Henry That's Rollins. Man. So for some specifics, um, Family Man, the, the line that I enjoy the most is, uh, you're such a man when you're putting up your Christmas lights. Oh, that's that's a, that's a very good line, actually. That's a very good line. <laughs> um, the salt on a slug one. Oh, you know, it's, right. It's like a kind of a, it, it's the kind of story that I think of with Rollins where he's sitting in the shed or he's sitting in a hotel room somewhere and he's feeling bleak and he's sitting there for hours and he's just kind of pondering the nature of his existence. And yeah, I find it, I find it effective. You know, it's not, none of these tracks... I would take away and say to someone, you have to listen to this track to hear how amazing Henry Word Henry yeah. Words, Henry Rollins's spoken word stuff is. But they I don't find them jarring apart from the let your fingers course, do the walking, which is a little bit um uh yeah, a little bit risable. Um the Hollywood diary, the the bit at the end where he said he made his breakfast, uh, made breakfast eight and tried again with renewed vigor. Uh, For some reason, there's something about the renewed vigor yeah. of trying to shoot yourself in the head and kill yourself that uh, that I appreciated. So, yeah, I don't know. There's it's it's a bit of a stretch to argue this over damaged, but I would go back to this. I think more than I would go back to damaged, partly because, like I say, I can listen to the West Memphis Three album and there's the early stuff mm -hmm. with the different vocalists, and then partly because I just generally have more affection for this sludgy era mm -hmm. of the band and you know it's the only rollins band album where you get uh or black flag album sorry it's the only mm -hmm. black flag album where you get to hear rollins doing spoken word and you get some um uh yeah jazzy noodling you do get a lot of jazzy noodling and, and some might say we don't need any albums where you get that <laughs> some might say uh i i do have problems uh with the other stuff as well like armageddon man it it's like a really cool riff that I don't think warrants nine minutes. Whereas mm. I find that they have a lot of songs that, that could warrant that. Um, and I do genuinely like, um, I won't stick any of you unless and until I can stick all of you. Got that name. Yeah. It's got, a, it's got a, it's got a particularly cool propulsive baseline. I thought definitely. I remember, I remember as a kid trying to everyone in my house, trying to learn that song on guitar and bass and no one could do it. It just seemed too fast. And, and while listening to it again, uh, what I didn't pick up before is that it sounds like Greg is struggling while Kira isn't. It is it was very interesting. Like, ah, I, I would not have expected that because he has a sloppy style in general, but it sounds like you can tell when someone's like, fucking, all right, got to keep going, got to go faster. God damn it. Um, which is an interesting, interesting thing. Uh, but aside from my, my hangups with all the spoken word stuff, and then a, a lot of the noodling does get to me after a while, as an album and why I, it was my least favorite, just in, in what I consider like a, a nice, full-rounded experience of an album, it is insanely disjointed. Just from the just from the structure of it, it's like half of the of these spoken word. Oh, first of all, opening with the spoken word pieces, and so I'm like, oh, okay, this is a all right, and then and then just it's it's, it's so uh, and intentionally so it's so uh, uh, dichotomized. Mm. And I, I get that that's, that's the point, 
But in terms of a, of a cohesive whole of an album, I find it very unpleasant to, to get through that. It's like almost like um, it's making me switch moods in the middle of it. It's, it's forcing me to like get out of a flow and into another flow, mm. which I find a very difficult experience when, you know, consuming one piece of music. And that's why it's my least favorite. <laughs> I can't, I can't really argue with it. Um, it is, it is a strange flow or lack of flow to have for an album to have all the spoken word and then have the, the, the full band and then have the, the instrumental, although I guess kind of, which is the point you're making or a point you're making, you couldn't really do it in a different way. Cause if you had a track and then you had a spoken word and then you had another track, it would be odd. It would be odd. It would make, it would kind of, I think it would, it would read more as a, more of an experimental thing. Like the way, uh, Chart Mask Replica does mm. with the, the fucking batshit insane spoken word stuff. Like I think track two was, uh, dust blows forward and dust blows back. Uh, and obviously that album is weird as shit. And it gives you the impression that, oh, they're doing some crazy shit here. And I think that, that would lend itself to, to this album if it had did that. Um, but as it is, it's it seems like a, a neat experiment that I, I fucking just can't stand listening to. Let's say if you didn't have the if you didn't have the spoken word stuff at the beginning and you just had Armageddon Man and then you had the instrumentals, I would, how do you think you'd feel about it? I would still think it's weaker than all, every a record from this era. Mm. but I wouldn't be quite as harsh on it mm. because even the spoken word stuff is, is kind of jumbled because salt on a slug is like a live recording, yep. really badly done live mm. recording. Uh, so it just, it feels like um, in our, in our generation, it would be voice notes on your phone, but mm. put onto an album. Uh, and it, I, I like the, 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 maybe the sincerity of it or the rawness of it, but again, fucking lining them all up at the beginning of the album. I find tough, real tough. Yeah, I think it's it's a fair it's a fair point about the the fluctuating quality. What pops into my head is an album by Jarbo. So Jarbo has got quite a range. She's got a gigantic discography for one thing, but she has some albums which are you know relatively well produced. She has some which you can tell are more kind of like home recording you know quality and she has this one album which i've now forgotten the name of it but i think it's like my delicate beast mm -hmm. probably not the word delicate but i think it's something like my delicate beast and i think it was only ever released on cassette mm -hmm. and it's basically a and then it got digitized but it's basically a collection of her doing different spoken words like stories and this kind of you know vocalizing stuff and some of the the recording quality is extremely rough um, but it's one of my favorite mm -hmm. albums by her. So I guess, you know, when I listen to that, I have a bit of this sort of weird conflict because I think, hmm, objectively, if you were going to recommend this to someone, this is pretty rough. And it kind of goes against what I was saying before about damage right. that I don't really like the, the sound quality of mm -hmm. it so much. So I don't know, I guess I'm contradicting myself left, right and center, but I liked that. And we I do don't it. mind this. We do it all the time. It, it, we're complicated people. That's Music it. is complicated as well. And it, yeah, sometimes it just certain frequencies just ring, even if it's a pile of shit. And it, but if it rings right, it's a good pile of shit. Yeah, I'd say so. So anyway, yeah, I I knew this was going to be the one that was hardest to sell, and it was partly that I thought it's the opportunity to to have Mike say you're out of your goddamn mind. You are out of your goddamn mind, <laughs> but I respect it and I appreciate it more than you know, more than you know. 
Next on the list. All right, next on the list. Celtic Frost. Celtic Frost. Celtic Frost. Celtic Frost. I do actually know how to pronounce them. It's just, <laughs> it's just a joke. Um, yeah. So Into the Pandemonium versus Monotheist. So, yes. well, the band in general. So I remember when I was still in my listening to 80s electronic music and Britpop phase, I was living in Aberdeen in Scotland, not Aberdeen in the USA. And I would get a lot of music from the local city library where I just rent CDs and take them away for a, a week or two. And I remember, I, I can't remember how I heard of them, but I remember seeing a Cel now I'm every time I want to say their name, I'm just like, shit, how am I supposed to say? Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing um and now I actually don't know how to pronounce the album to make a Therion, to make a Theron. Ah, uh, let me double check real quick. That one anyway, the one that's got the Geiger cover, although they uh and oh, no, I think actually maybe there's only one. Is that the only I believe it's Celtic the only Frost that has Geiger? And then Triptychon have got some Geiger as well. Yeah, I believe it's it, I think it's the only Celtic Frost one. Yeah, to make a theory on. To make a theory on. So I remember I guess I'd read about that somehow being an important album in metal. I probably read that it was kind of weird. And I remember listening to it and I guess at that stage it was a bit too metal for me to really appreciate and i've since gone back to it and i've appreciated it more but actually and again this i don't know how controversial this is i'm not really a huge fan of celtic frost up to that point i like a bunch of the the stuff but it's actually into the pandemonium where i get really excited okay about the band and this was another one of these episodes where I watched it and I thought, well, they're gonna they're gonna love them, obviously. And Alex did quite he did quite he was like them, big on them. And I you, was not, and you didn't. And I remember thinking at the time, like I'd only seen a few episodes, and I, and I thought, oh, I guess like Alex is the guy that I agree yeah. with. I guess like this mic is, you yeah, know, the so, fuck's he all about? Goddamn mine! <laughs> I've got so much shit for that episode; it's it's ridiculous. And I, I after going back to to both these albums. And in Celtic Frost in general, because I, I haven't heard them since the episode. And I'll, I realize now, and, and even going through some of my old notes, so much of what I was hung up on was Tom Warrior's voice. And like, he, I mean, people who know Tom Warrior fucking know his voice. <laughs> and I have come to accept them as another King Diamond, mm -hmm. which took me, well, I mean, King Diamond took me a long time to accept. It, like, I, I mean, I, obviously you hear them for the first time and you're gonna laugh your ass off. But after a while, you you accept it. It's a thing that it just it's it is. He is what he is, and that is he'll never be anything else. You can maybe you won't ever love it, but you can accept it. And I have gotten to that point with Tom Warrior now. So now going back with that perspective, I like into the, into the pandemonium significantly more than I ever did. And now I uh I don't even have that much of an argument of why Monotheus is better mm. because I'm kind of, I kind of get it now. Whereas before I was like, this is fucking a weird album. And it, yeah. it's still a weird. It's definitely a weird album. And I still can't defend Mexican radio, especially as the opening track. And especially with that one line that I can't ever stop laughing at. Dude, all fucking day that, that fucking vocal line has been recurring in my head and I can't stop laughing. Is that is that even Tom? I don't even know if that's Tom. It doesn't sound. Yeah, like I don't know if it's him or if it's um. Is it Martin? Is that the Martin Ain? Or yeah, him? yeah. It might it might be. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it it could be either way. The yeah. So well, first of all, 
my second favorite Celtic Frost album is Monotheus. Okay. So again, it's not that I've got huge things to say against that one, although I do have a couple of general points and it's more general points about the album rather than individual tracks. But actually, part of what I really like about Into the Pandemonium is why I think Mexican radio is a good opener. Oh, please. Because it is such a weird experimental album. And, you know, if you're going to have, which is the one which is like the sort of the weird uh, drum beats? Um, uh, fuck. I'm, I'm blanking. Yeah. It's like the most forgettable He's like, what is it? He's going like one in one in their pride. Oh, we're in the pride. Yeah, it's one, one in the pride. pride. Okay, well, the, the really drum machine heavy one. The really right? drum machine yeah. heavy one. Like, I mean, that's probably what I would consider to be the least necessary track on the album. But then, on the other hand, it's another feature of the the wild experimentation. Yeah, on it. and the fact that they do go to all these weird different areas, and I think Mexican radio is strange, but it's catchy. I, it's an enjoyable track. Like, if I just heard that track on its own. I would enjoy it. And I think if you had like a track like Mesmerized, for example, which is a great track, in my opinion, if you had that as the first track and then you had this weird experimentation, I think that would be a harder sell. But I think because you start with Mexican radio, you instantly go, the fuck is this all yeah, about? Yeah. That you're more prepared for them to go weird elsewhere. And they do go weird elsewhere. I mean, I mean, this is one of the strangest metal albums in the world, probably. Because even, uh, I complained about it a lot in the, in the episode about the orchestral elements feeling separated from the band. Mm. And they do still feel quite separated. But now I don't really view it as much of a negative as before because I've never heard it done like that ever since. So are you talking about Tristesses and um, Rex? I don't know how to pronounce any of these. Rex Iray, Rex Iray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, 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 and yeah, Rex Iray or Iree. I guess we can just call it Requiem because that's what it puts in the brackets for anybody that's not sure how to pronounce it. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. I mean, I do, I've always loved Tristes, Tristes, whatever. That was always like one of my favorite songs, if not my favorite song on the album. But even like, okay, also I'm super confused about the track listing. There's a million different track listings. Um, and, uh, the, I don't, so I don't really know what the closer is. I mean, I suppose you can call it Requiem as the, the sort of big last song on the album. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that one, uh, I remember being a lot harder on it before than I am now. It's like, I think you really just have to be open to the absolute weirdness and it's yep. not pleasant weirdness, but since the recording of this episode, we've listened to some really unpleasant, weird bands. Yeah. And so going back, it's almost, this is album is almost tamed by that standard. Uh, and I think uh, I've changed since I, I'm, I still don't like love it the way a lot of people do, but I, I definitely like it now, which I couldn't say before. Maybe my appreciation for this kind of um, makes sense in the context of me not really being a natural metal fan. Like there's, even though, I do listen to, or I have listened to a lot of metal music. I, I'm I'm fairly selective about the stuff that I like. Mm-hmm. And this is metal, but yeah, it's just kind of so willfully obscure and odd. And that somehow appeals to me. And I, like, I think I, I wrote a note for Inner Sanctum 
that it's metal played slightly off like they have a tapeworm. Ah. So it's going back to what we were talking about the other day where I was I was talking about music that sounds I think we were talking about um Linguinota. Yeah. And the Sinner Get Ready, that there's there's instrumentation there that sounds ill. Like yeah. it sounds like the instrument has got a disease inside us. And there's something about this album. Um and I guess, you know, elsewhere as well, they they have that kind of sickly yep. element to them. But Very I sick. find it particularly effective on this. And uh yeah, like, you know, even though it's it's in some ways you could say things sound kind of dated, and it's not like the most technical riffing that you're gonna hear. But also it's like they don't try to be technical. There's a sort of a roughness to it that fits with the overall atmosphere of it yes it's it's weird it's a bit sickly it doesn't sound like they're doing it quite right but it's sort of effective to me in terms of the atmosphere it's it's unsettling and there are bits that are very very goofy like the mexican radio thing is goofy and there's other stuff as well that you i mean you could listen to the whole thing and go this is all goofy yeah but somehow it just manages to walk that line for me where it's sort of ridiculous, but it's actually also effectively creepy and atmospheric as mm. well. And the song that I'm now too scared to try and pronounce again, Requiem, yep. I think is godlike genius. And I think it's their best track that they've ever done. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That I, good. I, like love, that I love that track. And I, I think I, I mentioned in the notes for, for an episode of the, the podcast that I was a big fan of Trypticon, yeah, the band that he went on to form afterwards, and the I think I referenced something about the recent album they did, which was a recording of them playing at Roadburn Festival, mm. and they do a version of that track, and it's epic and it's very very well produced, and they've got I I don't know exactly who it is, but I I think she's like an opera singer to do the woman's parts. That's for, that's pretty rare, and. The whole thing is, it's, I mean, I don't want to say that it's like Metallica's S&M, but it's kind of like that because they get an orchestra to play with them and it's so well put together. And I think it's a fantastic album. But if I compare this version to that version, there's just something about this one that just hits me a bit more. It's somehow feel, I don't want to say it's more authentic, but there's just something about it being kind of ragged and Mm -hmm. messed up that just somehow gets under my skin more. There's just something about the, the air in the room when they recorded it somehow, just the way everything came together, that some, it just creates this quality that you can't replicate. Yep. Yeah. And that's actually to sort of transition into monotheist, the general point about why as an overall listening experience, I prefer this to that album because the way I feel about Monotheist, well, it's interesting to see all the glowing reviews of that album. Acclaimed. I, like did, I, I say, didn't realize that. Yeah. My second my second favorite album by the band, and what I tend to find with that album is if I go, ah, let's listen to one of the tracks off it, pretty much any track apart from this one track, which I kind of feel is a bit trying to be weird and experimental unnecessarily. I think Totten, Tottengott. 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 It's it's kind of satanic and experimental. Um, Wait, where which is, one it? is it? I'm not finding it. Huh. Is it a special version? Maybe it's a bonus track. Oh. Oh. Maybe oh. this is not on the original on the oh. original album. All right. So basically, all of the songs I think are great. Okay. And 
I can put one of them on and go like, oh yes, this is this is what it's all about. Yeah. The problem I have with monotheists, and I kind of get this a bit with Triptychon, is that it feels sonically overwhelming after a while. And the album is really long. Very long. And the Triptychon yes. albums are all really long. And I have the same thing with them that I'll I'll pick an individual track and I'll go, this is amazing. Yeah. But after I've had about 30 or 40 minutes of it, I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit done with it. Yeah. And it's partly to do with the never-ending bleakness of it. Yep. And it's partly to do, I think, with the I think it's extremely compressed. Mm-hmm. It feels like a very digitized way ah. of making music. Now I could be talking out of my bottom, but um when I was talking to the not to cut you off, but that yeah. is the track you named is part of um the it's like a, a suite of songs. Ah. It's the first it's the first part of it. So yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah, so basically just it's just that part of the suite that I right. think is like, you know, not something I would pick out. Um but on on the sonic aspect to it, so I was talking to this podcast host, Nate Goyer, from The Vinyl Guide. Shout out the Vinyl Guide. Here you go. And we were I was asking him about what is it that makes vinyl to you more essential than other formats? And he had a fairly kind of, um, uh, I don't know, self-deprecating is the right way to put it, but he basically said like, well, I don't know if there's anything. It's basically just because that's what I grew up with. Okay. But he did say that he thinks there's something about digital sound waves that become tiring after a while. And he finds that if he's listening to um, like Spotify or whatever else, it's just, it numbs the brain after a while. And he said that's, he believes perhaps why vinyl is such a nice format because it gives you the breaks. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, you, mandatory breaks essentially. And again, I'm not, I'm not really, uh, in any way an expert when it comes to the, the technical side of things, but I know that with vinyl, there are limitations to how much compression mm-hmm. you can use. Mm-hmm. And I feel that when you listen to, um, into the pandemonium, you can feel a lot of space. You Definitely. can hear a lot of space in it. Yeah. And with monotheist, it's got that kind of, it's got that loudness wars quality to it that I think, do you know what I mean? That's, How do you mean? So when there was basically this period um, about 10 or 15 years ago where the record companies were all obsessed with getting the individual songs to be standing out as the loudest thing when they were played on radio. Mm. So what they started doing is that all of the, the major albums started getting massively compressed so you got this like brick wall yep. sound yep. wave. They, there are a lot of complaints about Death Magnetic about exactly that. Exactly, yeah. about Death Magnetic. And that's a complaint that I have about the recent Killing Joke albums. Okay, I think they're generally really good, but it, they're a bit kind of sonically tiring because it's just, it feels, yeah. you know, I could be wrong, but it just feels like we've got this big maxed out wave. And I don't know if that's exactly the case for Monotheist because there is... There is variety, you know, yeah. there are there are rocking parts and there are more ambient parts, but nevertheless, I've just got this feeling in my head, there's something about it that's more kind of maxed out and digitized. And I think that's part of why it gets fatiguing. Interesting. I felt, I mean, I do get fatigued from this album, even though I, I do love it, um, but it, it's mostly because you you said it earlier on with just the, the you didn't say it in so many words, but the dreariness of it just, it really beats you fucking down. Like the, all the songs 
do feel exactly the same. Sure, they're different songs and they have dips and there's some good dynamics in places, but they're basically doing the same thing. And it, it, over the course of the albums, I feel like they they evolved or whatever Tom um, and Ain evolved to be this thing. This is like the, mm. the final sound, which would continue on. But there was no. It's like they were almost like they were done experimenting at this point because mm-hmm. there's there no real chances taken here. It's fucking great. I love the songs, especially yep. the writing. Uh, and then even his voice is is more confident and serious than yep. he's ever been. But there's a there's definitely no kookiness. It's almost mm. like he's like, all right. I'm not, I don't want to do that anymore. And that's an, that's an interesting thing to be like, to, to think that what made Celtic Frost so special was that fucking zaniness. And then he, it, it, over developing, he, that's not really what he wants or wanted um, in the, in the end, the very end, I guess. Um, but it's, it's just, it's very long and they do, it is very samey. Uh, and even if you, you didn't like, the kookiness of into the pandemonium mm. there is no real getting bored on that album like there's just too much that you can't possibly predict <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah. my god yeah so like i said i like this album it's probably my my second favorite by the band but i just have that kind of misgiving about it that i always come into it starting listening to it or starting listening to any track going this is amazing but to get from start to finish it's a bit of a slog. And I think it's partly because of the never changing mood. Yeah. And I also just have this feeling it's something to do with the production style of it. Actual compression. Just, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think I just like, because I mean, this one is definitely more of like, if, if you want to scratch a, a metal itch, you'd put on this album, mm. Monotheus or whatever. Um, whereas if into the, into the pandemonium is far more difficult, quote unquote, to, to, you know, put in any kind of box so i think i just ended up liking the songs on here more and that's probably why i prefer it because now i mean at least that's how i feel now um going back to it and just well which songs do i find the most interesting on a, on a, on a written level maybe not in the, on the presentation level because definitely the pandemonium wins that one um how can you not like requiem though i mean it's just i do like it i do, oh, like, you do it like it now but I, okay. I before i didn't like it i i've learned like a lot of it i was like all right you know what i was I was wrong. I was way too hard on it. I understand now, which I'm glad because I, I had no interest in going back just out, just out of uh, bewilderment, I think, of my first exper- exposure to it. Well, I mentioned them the other day. If you get around at some point to hearing Devil Music by Portrayal of Guilt, mm-hmm. I think that that song in particular and the one that I also can't pronounce with Tristessus, the the kind of orchestral stuff they use in that I think was quite an influence on Portrayal of Guilt. And I love that album that they've done, which has got these or- orchestral elements. Mm-hmm. And that, part of the reason why I really like, or part of what stands out about that for me and for this, is it's very much not like symphonic black metal. Yeah. Because for me, symphonic, symphonic, symphonic black metal is- Symphalic, sorry. Symphalic black metal. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 too ridiculous. It's too ridiculous for me. It's it's overblown. Mm. And if you had a whole album of this where they where they had all of that, like if they tried to replicate that style for a whole album, it would be preposterous. Yep. But just having a bit of it, um, I think, is great. And with the with the Devil Music album, they basically have fifteen minutes of tracks which are kind of sludgy experimental black metal. I guess it's also kind of punkish or screamo if I have to use that appalling title. (laughs) And then they take the same tracks and they redo them with orchestral 
instruments, mm. but still with the black metal vocals, oh. which is a very odd combination to have. But again, it's only it's only 15 minutes of it, so it's not overblown to me. And I feel like generally my perception of symphonic black metal is it's it's this thing that they feel is so grand and you have to demonstrate how grand it is by making it go on for 80 minutes. Yeah, I, I actually do quite agree with and understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but solid arguments overall. I still go back to Monotheus. You know what? I don't know. These days, I don't know. These, I, these days, even though I still love Monotheus, I think it would be easier for me to go back to into the pandemonium now. Mm. Um, I think it's an easier and more engaging listen overall, even though maybe I like the songs on Monotheus more. That's the thing. As a full listening experience, it's got the variety. It's got a little bit of fun. It's got a little bit of playfulness. It's still dark. It's still weird. And like I say, Monotheist, I think it's a great album, but just to get through that from start to finish, it's a bit, it's a bit of a slog. Interesting. I like how people change and perspectives change. This is fascinating <laughs> stuff. But on to our next little debate. What we got? Well, I guess you know which one. This is the last one, right? Uh, No, there's... There's uh, two. Uh, we've talked. Well, there's only five of them. We've got six of them written down. But, so we've we've done Jane's Addiction. We've yep. done Soundgarden. Um, we've done Black Flag. And we've done Celtic Frost. Yes, or Celtic Frost as we're yep. calling them today. Indeed. So there's one more. It's either Husker Du or Swans. I'm guessing it. It has to be Swans. It is Swans. Yeah. Thank God, because <laughs> fuck, dude. Because I swear, man. If anybody in the world was going to argue that Warehouse was better than Xenarchade, I would fucking jump out this window right now. I mean, I, I was thinking about like, how can this argument be made? Like, I'm very curious. And then, and here's, and this is why I, I fucking knew it. Mm. As I was walking around the beautiful streets of Berlin, I, I was like, all right, it's time to listen to, uh, to the Who's Gonna Do albums. This is to fucking give these a once over. So I put on Warehouse by track three. I turned it off and said, this can't be it. This is not, this is no way. I'm not get, I'm not going to get through fucking 70 minutes of this horse shit. I'm sorry, but that album stinks. And Zen Arcade is, I still, We'll always love that album. So good on you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> See, I thought I thought with the family man and damage that that was going to throw you, but um, I didn't. I didn't appreciate that warehouse was such a hard sell. Oh well, I think only reason why is because I, I personally know of your love of Henry Rollins. Mm. That was the only thing that gave it away. Ah, uh, yeah. okay, fair point. But now Swans, swans. baby. Now this one. All right. So we both like swans. Quite a bit. We, how long did we spend uh, talking about swans uh, with, your, with your girlfriend at your place? Maybe several hours? Just yeah, pure swans? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, so my girlfriend, Cecilia, hello, Cecilia. Hello. Is, uh, is pretty obsessed with swans. So I, I introduced her to the band and she absolutely loves them. And she has a different take. You know, it's always great when you introduce someone to music that you love and then you can kind of reappreciate it through there, yeah. but then they've also got takes that you don't necessarily have that, yeah, color, color your opinion Definitely. of them. So I think she is pretty glowing about all of the era, basically up till um, the burning world. Yeah. And the, the stuff that I got into Swans with first, I mean, I think, you know, the, this was in the dark, the dark days of um, of uh, of Soulseek, etc. And dark I would just, indeed. I would just like to say, as a as a um, uh, as an apology or a, as an ex no, I don't know, is it excuse the right word? But 
just you know, to, to Michael Gere and anyone connected, I have bought many, <laughs> many different versions of different Swans and Swans-related yeah. albums since then. So I feel guilty about the fact that I first acquired them by nefarious means. Right, of course. But I've definitely bought all of them since then and generally in multiple copies. So I, I feel that my, you rectified it my previous easily. sins have been uh, slightly atoned for. I think so. I think so. But I think I started off with White Light from the Mouth of Infinity. Hell yes, hell and yes. And that's stayed my favorite, although partly through Chichilia, I've come to appreciate Children of God yeah. even more. With the early stuff, I you know, judging from what you've spoken about on the podcast or when we were we were talking together, I haven't I didn't have the same introduction. I definitely didn't have the same introduction that you did because you you got into the early harsh stuff first, first yeah. and quite young, yes, right? Yes. Just remind me how young you were. I believe I was 13 when my wonderful brother Robert, <laughs> who some of you know, uh came home with the filth and body to body job to job compilation. And he was like, You never heard anything like this before. And I was like, oh, whoa, this is legitimately scary. And I was hooked ever since. And did you kind of decide straight away that you liked body to body more? Or were the both of them just together as these this whole package that you really enjoyed? At first, it was one whole package. And then maybe... See, time is different when, you, when you're looking back at it. I feel like it was years later. But it was literally like maybe six months later. Um, I started focusing on body to body, job to job. And then that's the one that I just kept going back to over and over and over again, um, which is why I still love it so much to this day. So, yeah, I've obviously I've got my my difference of opinion with Mike about that, and maybe it's more my higher opinion of Cop. And again, I don't know mm. if your if your view has changed at all, but I slightly um, what's the word? I was I was kind of being intentionally provocative in the notes for the Swans episode where I said that Cop was the yeah. best thing that Michael Jira had ever done without Jarbo. <laughs> <laughs> you and, you you and Alex were like, how dare you? Alex is like, I've got my feelings and I'm not going <laughs> to talk yeah. about them. It's like, <laughs> I, really, I really touched on something here. Um, so the funny thing was, watching the episode, when Alex was making the case for Young God, Yeah. I actually found that very convincing. And I thought, shit, maybe now I actually prefer Young God, which is in fact the one that you said was your least favorite. I gave it worse and least favorite, but just because, you, you know, the rules of the pod, I still yeah. like it, but it, it was the most punishing and hard to get through for me. Because the thing about that that elevates it a little bit over cop for me is the way that Michael Jira changes the vocal style yes. and it now becomes this... Or there's the element of this hushed. Yeah, uh, I don't want to say necessarily seductive, but it's it becomes more sexual. Yeah, definitely. Um, whereas before, like you know, in the in the first EP, he's got this. I don't know if it's like a kind of more of a no wave style. I don't know exactly what it is, it's, but it's it's still really gruff and a lot of barking, but it, it has more in common with no wave than anything else they they've done, and, except for the first EP, I suppose. But uh, oh no, that's what I meant. So the the first EP. Oh, the first EP is first EP I, yeah. is kind of no wavy and basically then, no wave. And filth is very barking. Yeah. And then cop, he's starting to transition into something a bit more sinister. Yes. And then young god takes it his vocals to the to another level. So I'm a little bit on the fence between cop and young god, but I think ultimately why cop wins it for me is I actually think the whole thing 
is very consistent. So I think every track is really great. It's got the the standouts of Half Life, yes, which is amazing, and then Cop itself, yep, which I think is absolutely incredible. And yes, it is. <laughs> it's one of those ones where it's 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 the weirdness of it, like. It, there's a lot of a lot of cop can come across as being just kind of like bashing you into yeah, the ground. Sure. But I was actually, I, and I forget which track it was now, but there's a track on there that actually reminds me of Butthole Surfers a bit. Um, do you know what? Actually, I could be talking rubbish. It might have actually been on Body to Body, Job to Job. Ooh, there's a point but, for it's, Mike. but it's all, <laughs> yeah, but it's all around the same time. You know, there's yeah, the, the, he's doing weird. Uh, experimental work with his voice mm. and this kind of there's a weirder experimentation that you wouldn't necessarily think of when you just focus on the fact that you're getting your head smashed in to the ground yes with the 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 horrible unrelentingness of this indeed um but back to cop specifically that's one of those tracks where if you listen to it on uh with speakers you can hear this weird back and forth of the vocals and it's kind of yeah yeah whoa yep. the vocals, and, yeah the production of the vocals is actually quite spectacular on that song i love it i absolutely love it and i and i think in the past those were like they were kind of those standouts and the rest of it was a bit of a chore for me but the more that i listen to it the more i actually feel that there's consistency the whole way through and i don't think that there are any weak tracks on cop yeah, okay. But okay. I feel like if I remember correctly, your your problem with Cop was overall the sound of it that you didn't like the the drums. You thought the drums were too soft. Well, yeah, the didn't like the drum production of it. They do they did feel tiny, very small considering the intensity of the songs where I mean, these are very punishing songs. Uh and the the biggest offender and after going back, I could still say this is Your Property, which is fucking such a good song, but the version on Body to Body is it's called Your Game on that one. And I believe it's a live version. And I can't believe how much fuller and bigger and clearer and heavier that version feels compared to this one. So I, I've always gone to that one. Uh and but but I think overall my problems with, with cop it <sighs> almost in a way of your problems with Monotheist, where it's like it is one mode the whole way through. Mm. It is lengthy. It's not super lengthy, you know, relatively, but it is a lot of that one thing. There are still moments where they'll do a, I forget which song it is, but like the very last minute or so, it takes this huge shift and gets really almost like filth, really, really percussive and really crunchy and just, I don't know. It, it just becomes really barbaric sounding at the very end. Maybe it's Clayman. I was just going to yeah, say, I think, I think it, based on my notes, I think it's Clayman. I think it's Clayman. Because yeah. I've written, what is that weirdness at the end? Yeah. That, that weirdness at the end is what I was like, oh, yes, I'm back. I'm back. Yes. Whereas the more, I mean, some so songs that shouldn't work for me, but do is a song like Job, mm-hmm. where uh, I remember did I spoke highly of it on the episode as well. But every time I hear it, I can never shake the fact that, why do I like this? There's it's there's nothing at all pleasant or good about any of this. And the notes are just nonsense notes. There's no the, the rhythm is like it takes a long time for the, the actual rhythm to kick in. Um uh Michael's just sort of mumbling at the very beginning. But it it's it's truly incredible. 
Uh, I'm, now I'm just praising the album when I should be critiquing it, I guess. It's hypnotic, I think. Yes, that one. absolutely. It's, and it's it's very off kilter, like you say, with with the with the guitar riff, if that's what you can yeah. call it. It's odd, and yeah, I, I I find the whole thing effective and hypnotic. I think it's just maybe the because I do like almost every song on here, but the songs I like less, I start to feel the the lack of change in mood. I start mm. to feel the, you know, the redundancy a little bit. So, like Why Hide. Um, it's Why Hide and the first chunk of Clayman. I feel like, that, all right, that's like where I start losing it a little bit. And Your Property comes in again. I'm like, okay, that's a fucking amazing song. And then Cop, obviously, we're back on board. And then Butcher, I'm like, all right. And Thug, I do like Thug. And especially do prefer this version uh, compared to the Body to Body version, which is like fucking 30 fucking minutes or however long it is. Yeah. But even then, um, by the end of it, it, it didn't really like leave a lasting impression. Uh, and it's not short enough to, to have them. It's so like filth, it's very short. And while there's still some, some variation in there, it's mostly the same thing all the way through this, you know, really, uh, brutal, no wave essentially, mm. but it's short enough to give you this one taste of this one style. And, and then it kind of, uh, kind of holds that the whole way whereas if something like this is this punishing and it, and it doesn't have as much variation um and it doesn't have any um really powerful bookends although i do love half-life thug doesn't really take it doesn't take it home for me so as the end you know the final two tracks it's like all right i'm losing it i'm losing it i'm depressed it's beat me up <laughs> all right just fucking let me just move on from this that's what this album kind of always does for me I mean, it's only 40 minutes long. But it feels like <laughs> someone just ripped out your stomach. I mean, definitely, I, I was thinking about this before, that it's kind of, and maybe we talked about this, it's kind of funny to be talking about the pros and cons of like Cop and Young God and Body to Body, because it is a question of like, what is the punishment that you that you enjoy and what yeah. is the punishment that you don't enjoy what is your particular brand of masochism <laughs> and apparently mine is body to body which is by all accounts me shitting on my own point of everything i just said all of that is worse on body to body mm -hmm. it's longer it's more it's more upsetting and, and disturbing and, and and it falls into that like sameness and goes on for way too long um but what aside from the obvious biased nostalgia that i have for it mm. and I will, I will say this until the end of time the first seven tracks i think is about as perfect as it gets for checking out or uh, introducing anybody to early swans when you say the first seven tracks do you mean including track seven um not as much but i'll throw it in there <laughs> It's definitely on the on like the, the, the lower end, uh, which is uh, we'll hang for that. But because up until that point, I'm um, like, I'll cry for you is I guess it's cop, you know, adjacent in mm -hmm. terms of when it was written, but it doesn't sound like anything off cop. And uh, red sheet is more is more the early no wave stuff, but it it's feels br more brutal and heavier and, mm -hmm. and more primal. Uh, like your game, of course, is your property from Cop, but it sounds way better and way fuller. And the drums, especially, um, because like the drum hook of that song is, at least to me, revolves around that hi hat. Um, without, I'm not gonna sing the drums, but it like the uh, 
the hi-hat plays a big part in that main riff and it's tiny and really quiet on the the cop version and here it's fucking hissing it's really loud and it's really it's really uh prominent uh and then seal it over it's just the best song ever fucking made that i don't know how you could possibly make a song like that or recreate it like those sounds it's just demon sounds how do they mm. make those sounds scraping metal across the wall I, it's quite possibly for swans at, of that era yeah actually <laughs> seal it over is is the first song that made me like the music can be anything yeah because i'm feeling a whole bunch of shit and i couldn't even begin to fathom how to play that on guitar yeah like what even is that it's just fucking madness uh and it's perfect and i can't i mean i don't know any other many other songs that sound like seal it over from swans mm. no indeed it does it does stand out i mean i i wouldn't argue with you about the first six tracks yeah um i think they are great and i and i do feel a little bit more mm, satisfied with the sound like with i'll cry for you or with yeah. with seal it over somehow it's just the percussion has got a little bit more oomph got a lot of kick to it, to it. Yeah. yeah and i find that stuff incredibly satisfying i do feel like we'll hang for that is where it starts to drag a bit yep um and then this is where I start to have my criticisms with the album. Because again, I feel like I've said again a lot in this podcast. Apparently that's the thing that I say on like again and again and again. Oh man, if I kept track of all the stupid redundant <laughs> words that I've said, I'd shoot myself. So Half-Life. The live version of Half-Life. I think maybe you mentioned this in the podcast, but you don't get the bass and that ruins the track. Yes. This is a... Uh... Not the version to go to, 100%. Which is a shame, because I think the performance is great. Like, I think it's a bit faster than it is on yeah. Cop. And yeah, I really enjoy the performance, but not hearing the bass line properly really takes away from the impact. And it's it a shame. sure does, because I mean, a lot of what Early Swans is, is a super heavy, low bass where you can barely tell the notes, but you're feeling it. And that's yep. why it's there, because you feel it. The guitar is a texture. It's not really carrying anything so when you just hear the notes of half-life it's like these are really what the fuck is yeah yeah and i i feel the same for this live version of cop which i, I believe i said in the episode uh again because you can't hear the bass it changes the song yeah the difference with cop on this version is that the the actual the things norman is playing uh i think they're actually interesting um whereas i don't find that to be the case with half-life so much um, so cop ends up just being a different song to me here that I also like mm -hmm. because the chords he's playing, they're really dark and disturbing chords that don't sound anything like the pounding, crushing baseline that you, uh, that we come to know from the song. So it gives it a different, entirely different feel, which I, I do appreciate, even if I may not like it quite as much. Uh, and I will admit, yes, the, the this thug version is too long and it's a bad closer and it's very fucking, it's a lot. And then even songs that I do like, uh, like Mother, My Body, Disgust Me. Love Mother, My Body, Disgust Me. It's a great song. It's so disturbing. Uh, I can't I'm listen. i with it. I can listen to that going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and an Disgust opposite me. Oh my God. So. It's the opposite with me where I, I cannot listen to that song anytime. And it, it almost, it's really uh, temperamental when I can, because it's, it is truly the most bitter, ugly thing uh, 
And it's the, the difference with that one with a lot of Swan stuff is that it's tangible. It's digestible as a song, mm. except it's just so ugly where most of the stuff is really hideous, but it's got this insane brutality and a lot of it gets lost. And it's most of it, most of it's just the intensity that you're listening to that one. You're listening to a song that happens to be really disturbing and ugly. Interesting. See, I, I, I mean, definitely I, I can recognize that it's disturbing and ugly, but I find it really appealing. I, if I'm just thinking, oh, I, I feel like listening to some some swans, and I want some, you know, like some fairly early grimy swans. Yeah. I will very often put on "Mother, My Body Disgusts Me." It is a good one. It is a good one. That is pretty punishing in a different way than we're. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think you've kind of uh, made uh, you've sort of made the point of what bothers me about this album. It's the it's the inconsistencies yeah. of some of the tracks. And I don't particularly have a problem with the variety of the the live stuff and the loops and the you know the the different um the different eras, the different sounds. But there are just a few tracks that I find kind of tedious. Mm-hmm. Um I don't like the the live version of Thug. Yeah. Uh I'm not so keen on the cop live version. Like I don't really have a big problem with it. I think there's one of the, I think it's loop 21 that I remember thinking that this is just kind of pointless. Yeah, some of the loops. <laughs> As I've said, I don't really like Half-Life on here. Um, it's funny, I wanted to do a bit more of a comparison before the episode of listening to this job versus back the cop back. job. And I thought this will be what can either make or break it. And then I was too lazy to listen to it. Back <laughs> to back, so. so we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. Goodbye. Yeah, but again, it's kind of tough because... I, I like this album, but I would go back to to Cop more often. And in contrast to what I was saying about Monotheist, and in contrast to what you said about Cop, I don't find, even though it's obviously quite quite, it's very depressing and it's very knocking you into the ground. I actually find the more that I listen to Cop, the more I find it digestible. Uh huh. Whereas, um. Yeah, with Monotheist, like I say, it's got that sonic element that just kind of wears me out. And with this, as much as it does have some absolutely fantastic peaks on it, and I do agree, like the first six tracks are great. I have no problem with it whatsoever. Full listening experience. Mm. I will relent that the full thing is absolutely not, for, it's not consistent. It shits on everything that I say about, you know, a whole cohesive album. Mm. Um and ultimately, the what because the reason I gave it personal favor instead of a, a best is a is because like the I'm easily swayed not easily but um I'm definitely taken when something is extremely consistent off the bat I'll forgive mm-hmm. a lot as it goes on because it already had me and I'm I'm just along for the rest of the ride just kind of coasting this one is a it's not a short album by any means and it will even wear me out and I like okay fucking I'm I'm not even gonna bother with Thug I usually just tap out way before that um but i think that the highs here are like not not only my some of my favorite things from swans but some of my favorite things in life mm. like the highs here are unparalleled highs for me uh, i still love this stuff off, off cop but i mean goddamn i'll cry for you alone it's like god man there's so much about this that just oh it taps into every darkest depth of my soul yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. Maybe what it really comes down to, or one way to sort of encapsulate the difference between 
the two of us and why we pick one album or the other. You've singled out I'll Cry For You, which I think is amazing. But if I had to hold that up against Cop on Cop, fair, I would stick with Cop. So for me, Cop just, we know, I just think steals it. I, I, that's fair. I think it's because I'll Cry For You is, is the opener um, that I feel that it, it um, there's something about uh, an opener that not only gives you an impression of what's to come, but does it in a subtle and gradual way. Because I'll Cry For You is not even close to being their heaviest or most punishing, punishing song, especially if you if you compare it to Cop or, or even Half-Life as an opener. Mm. But it, it does a good job of like, all right, get ready. We're, we're coming in with something. And then it follows it up with a red sheet, which is fucking fast and pounding and crazy. Uh, if I had to compare like my my the top, it would be Seal It Over. It's like, all right, that's that's what has me forever. Yeah. What can I say? It's a good album. Yeah, both of them. <laughs> well, we've done, I think, about two hours. <laughs> just should be no surprise. There's no, we just, if, if me and Alice can talk for fucking forever, then you and I also forever. Yeah. Talk about bands that you love. Talk about albums that, yeah, I mean, most of the stuff that I was talking about here are, are albums that I, that I like or I love. So yep. it's, uh, it's no major surprise. No chore at all either. Uh, Hell yeah. So I don't, even know, I don't even know how to end this. Thank you so much for listening and watching and hanging out. Holy shit. This has been a fun and compl- no one in a million years would have expected, especially me, that, that there would be a fucking face-to-face pod with the great Tom Osborne. <laughs> You're too kind. Hell yeah. So if, yeah, you know the bullshit. If you hang out, if you want to hang out, talk some shit in the comments. Subscribe if you want to do that. Tell us we're fucking retarded if you also want to do that. Uh, you can follow me on all social media at PanderMonkey, and you can follow Tom. Where, what are the other things, buddy? Oh, shit. Uh, I've got a website, TomOsmondSounds.com, and you can basically find everything there. Very, very cool. He makes music too. Check out, there's a link to all that in the description. Please check those out. And my music too, son of a bitch. Check that out too. Um, uh, Patreon? Oh! How could I I forget? Alex. Look at that! Patreon.com slash every album ever. That is our bread and butter. It helps a lot. Uh, Yeah, bonus episodes. Get to see our schedules in advance. Vote on polls to decide who we're covering next. You could join our Discord, of course, and suggest our EAE singles episodes. We pick all the topics from that one. Uh, from yeah, from that from that thread or whatever. And if you're tier two, if you're bigger than Jesus, that's right. You can suggest a full ass discography for us to cover on a full numbered episode. Uh, probably when I'm back home, that would make more sense. So do that, please. Thank you for the love of God. Thank you. Uh, I think that about does it. No final song because it's a fucking basically a spin off episode. So thank you so much for for everything for all your work for. For having uh, having me and, and showing me around the city and, and and talking at length and doing the notes and all the stuff. Well, thank you for for letting me into your life, like the single white female stalker that I am. Oh, I love it! I could use the attention as I gradually start changing my appearance, so I start looking more and more like Mike. Till <laughs> <laughs> I finally alert. take over your life, <laughs> please take it. <laughs> so until fucking the next one. Thanks so much for listening and watching. See ya.